0: Don't worry, we can just transfer money from your account into a portfolio with your son, and it's God! We don't need to fucking
1: practice, Randy! everyone, welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. I'm your host, Soft Weekly, and with me as always is our expert handicapper, Val Duar.
0: Val, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I am doing great. Uh, Well, first of all, I guess we should say... Start uh, off with the big news. Yeah, some exciting news to share with you all. You want to tell them? No, you go ahead and do it. All right, well, uh, for a while we've been in this... Uh, discord server it's with, with a guy i know who's a great great golf handicapper um the, it's called spofi we've put the, their tag in our uh descriptions a couple times Spofi does nfl capping golf capping baseball capping nhl capping and now uh ufc capping mma capping because they've invited us to join the spofi sports network and we accepted so we're on a network of podcasts um it's really exciting. We've changed our logo to be more professional because we've made it big time. This is, <laughs> this is the big time, you know. We're basically Joe Rogan, um, but but really, I'm I'm excited. I mean, they're good people, intelligent people, um, and it's nice to have a, a community like that uh, that revolves around sports and sports betting.
1: That's that's kind of how I feel. Um... It, it like-minded individuals. It, it made me feel good that they really liked what we were doing. You know what I mean? Patting ourselves yeah. on the back a little bit here, but uh, those guys know their sports. I was telling them too that you and I are now. I'm definitely not a pro at this, but uh, I told them that we'll be talking shit when NFL season comes around as well. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Well, well, the um, I don't know if he has gone the leader, but one of the leaders of the Spofine network. T Philly though is well first off he's a guy I've been following his golf picks for like a year and a half now. Great great at that. I've hit several like plus 5,000 dogs with him uh, on outright winners. But aside from that, he's also he's a Steelers fan like me. So yeah, we'll be trash talking the rest of you guys.
1: Yeah, well I I won't have much room this year. My Lions are going to they're making progress, <laughs> but I won't be able to talk much shit this year.
0: <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah it, this just gives us a place to to share our stuff which we've been sharing our uh episodes in there for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And they yeah they they just wanted us to join.
1: And I th- I think it it definitely is an opportunity for us because uh people that are into sports handicapping follow that network and now they'll for have sure. they'll have access to us. It definitely increases our audience and I am very excited about it. Having said yeah, all me, that, me. Yeah, having said all that, uh, why don't you give us last week's recap?
0: All right. So, yeah, not a great week. I still feel like I I stick to my guns for the most part. My only regret really is not pulling the trigger on Latifi, which I wanted to but talked myself out of because I already had so many bets on. But um, we lost on Rodriguez Todorovic under 1.5. Todorovic actually fought with his hands up, which is insane. But that was .5 units. Miguel Baeza, you you were right, I was wrong. Ponzi Nivio looked more like his old self, jabbing, um, and it was a great fight, a close fight. But Ponzi took rounds two and three, and that, that's a fight of the year candidate so far. Um, so minus one unit. Then we had Jardineu Rosenstrike in the main event, uh, one point seven units to win, one point four six six units um, at minus one sixteen odds. So. That puts it back to about even. Then Walt Harris, he almost got the knockout. And then did the same thing he did against Overeem. Gassed out. Overeem got on top of him. Or in this case, Tybura got on top of him and uh, grounded and pounded him out. Uh, Real disappointing because we were so close. But that's minus one unit. Uh, Roman um, Deleeds, that's plus two-thirds of a unit. Six, six, seven units. He won. We had 0.9 units on him. Then Trinaldo uh, lost in what was a decent fight, but clearly so took it, a uh, minus 0.75 units. And then Alan um, Patrick, that was in no contest, although he was losing. He got poked in the eye pretty bad, and some people say he quit. Some people say it was that bad. Uh it, It's up to interpretation, but, yeah, that doesn't change at all. So all in all, it was minus 1.117 units.
1: My quick recap of last week was uh, you and I differed on uh, more bets than we usually do. Um, And I I scored with the Latifi that you were close to pulling the trigger on. And I know you thought the Ponzi fight would be a good one as well. And I I was just real happy because I think I called that pretty specifically that his jab was going to do the business, which it did. It was great. There was some weird scoring on that card, I'm not going to lie. And yeah. and there was an abundance of eye pokes. Did you notice that oh, there, yeah. were, there was a bunch Which, of them?
0: It's becoming a problem. I mean, they need to start taking points and disqualifying people, even if it's not intentional. They they need to. That's, that or changing the gloves is the only way to do it. But I, I that's a topic for another time. Though it is a bit topical with Leon Edwards fighting this week after is no contest against Bilal due to that horrible eye poke that had Bilal's eye bleeding. But yeah, yeah let's Yeah. But right, before we all jump in, that. I want to say one well, more thing about last yeah. week
1: is uh I had a great time with uh Mike and Strong from Strong and Jackets UFC picks. Um I hope he enjoyed it in uh a- We've talked about it, and there are some times in the future we'd like to have him back if he had fun. I thought he was a good guest. I thought he added content and knowledge. Uh, I enjoyed him, yeah, and I just I wanted agree. to put that shout out out there.
0: I'm thinking, I'm thinking, at the very least, you should have him for UFC 264 Poirier versus McGregor three, because that's such a massive card. Yeah, we'd, we'd do well to have him on that one. Yeah, yeah. But we this get is it. a pretty big card too. So yeah, I like this down down one. Jump, pack. jump right into it. What are we covering tonight? Alright, so we're starting with Hakim Dawodu or Dawodu I, I'm just going to say Dawodu versus Movsar Evloyev. Um, this this is a great fight between two prospects number 14 and 15 in the featherweight division I believe and this is both of them this is their biggest test to date. Uh, Evloyev, his his toughest fight was probably his last one against Nick Lentz though He's fought in three good wrestlers, Lentz, Grundy, and Barzola, but not an abundance of good strikers, which is what Hakim Dawodu is. But he he clearly out wrestled Barzola, Grundy, and Lentz. Um the Lens one was a split decision, though it should not have been. Um but the one thing with Avloyev is he he has a lot of rear-naked chokes on outside the UFC. That was his, that's his main way of finishing. Couple knockouts, but mainly rear-naked chokes. But in the UFC, he has not finished a fight yet. Even with his, I mean, his grappling is like, I don't want to say Khabib esque because that's that's an exaggeration. But his his grappling is to that insanely high Russian standard, and he he's he's definitely one to look out for in, in this featherweight division. There's a lot of guys in this featherweight division who I think he could wrestle for 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 fifteen solid minutes. But Hakeem dawoodu may not be one of them. Um, he this, this is a pretty simple fight when it comes down to stylistic matchups, because Avloyev is an awkward striker, though he is voluminous, but he doesn't have the the technique and sharpness to his striking that uh, a kickboxer or a guy with a kickboxing background like Hakeem Dawudu does. And and his he's sucked, outstruck his opponents by a good amount, but his opponents have not been the best strikers. They like I said, they were almost all other wrestlers, and they they were happy to wrestle with him. You know that's where they preferred it, and that that's where Vloyev prefers it. But Hakim Dawoodu, like I said, he's a great kickboxer, especially his leg kicks. He he's he does a lot of damage with the, his leg kicks. Watch the Julio Arce fight to see him really beat someone's legs up badly, um, and. The reason that this matchup is intriguing is because Dawudu has 85% takedown defense. Um, he has a full arsenal of kicks and punches. He uses the leg kicks to set up higher ones. He has a head kick knockout on his record. And those leg kicks, once they start eating into Avoye's legs as the round goes on, lead leg particularly as the rounds uh, go on towards the third round, uh, the less purchase Evloyev will be able to find on the surface and you know he won't be able to push off as much to drive through on his takedowns which he has good takedowns but Akima's 85% takedown defense like I said that's where the intrigue comes in um and to boot Akima's face a wrestler who is a teammate of Movsar Evloyev although he's not quite on the same level as Evloyev Zubaira Tokugov is a very good wrestler as well in his own right and in that fight Zubaira, Tokugov shot seven takedowns and only landed one and was only able to uh, get two minutes of control time. In his other six fights in the UFC, Tokugov has landed 57% of his takedowns. So that shows just how much higher level Hakeem's takedown defense is. Um, Hakim, on the other hand, outstruck Tokugov 69-35 to 35 strikes as he's outstruck all of his opponents. And that is shown in the fact, which shout out to numbers MMA on this one. Check him out on Twitter. That evloy that's, that that would do has the highest strikes per minute differential in featherweight history for anyone with five plus fights. He outlands his opponents by two point eight four strikes per minute. That's point zero two above Max Holloway. So not too much different than Max Holloway, but Max Holloway is on another level to everyone else. So it just shows goes to show that his defense is solid and his offense is solid. About 25% of his atta- strikes are leg kicks, but those are used to set up things higher later on. So, I believe, I didn't go too much into the technical striking areas because this is just style versus style matchup. Um, I, I think there is decent value here in Hakim Dawudu to stuff these takedowns. And accrue damage with volume, um, which he lands 5.15 significant strikes per minute in the UFC. Now, that hasn't always worked for him for all the judges. He has three split decisions, but they're very odd split decisions. In those three split decisions, including the Tsukugov fight, he outstruck his opponents by 62 strikes, 23 strikes, and 34 strikes. And he didn't get controlled or took taken down for more than a round so it, it it's a real odd one why he keeps getting so many split decisions and and, and I'm not just the only one who thinks that most people agree that that would have won those three fights i feel um, like
1: uh um the judging has gotten worse we kept thinking it would oh yeah. get better but it's actually gotten worse over the last yeah. 18 months I mean, or so don't want to go too off topic but i
0: will say that we need to not have these ex boxing judges and judges just from the commission that have no accountability we need i believe we need ex coaches maybe ex fighters too to be the ones judging because they know the game in and out you know yeah um but anyways so the the fact that hakeem dawoodu has so many split decisions isn't as worrying as it seems because of cuz to everyone else other than one judge, they were clear wins for him. And it may actually contribute to the oddsmakers giving us a better price in this one, honestly. Because we're able to get... Last I looked, the best price for Hakim was plus 201. So, let's go back yeah. to best fight odds and check on I that. I
1: see on Sportsbook, you can get him at 205 right now.
0: Sportsbook 205. Wow. That's interesting. Um... Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the bet then. I, I, I personally lucked in 201 earlier at sports bet, but the sports book odds appear to have overtaken the sports bet odds. Yeah. But um, if, but if I, you look
1: elsewhere, he, he's dropping to 175 yeah. and stuff. You know what I mean? So 201 is yeah. still a very nice price.
0: I was disappointed. I was disappointed not to get this bet in open. He was at, he was at 220 and 210 for a long time on most books. He started at 240 on some like bet online. But it it dropped before I got to taping because I've been I've been a bit busy this last week. Um. So yeah, but I I would still take him at plus one eighty six plus one ninety six, which is the other best you can get. Yeah. Um, I see. uh, I I would would probably take him down to one seventy.
1: Fanduel has him at one ninety eight, and uh, the lowest I see him is I think one seventy five. So anywhere if you. If, anywhere yeah, if you look like right a, now he's still a value
0: yeah but betway always has the worst thoughts so yeah i mean most places it's 185 to 190 i'd pull that trigger but we're on plus 205 for hakim dowry versus, versus most sorry and we're putting um three quarters of a unit on that bet
1: all right who do we got next
0: all right so up next continuing on the the Prelims. We have Eric Anders versus Darren Stewart. Which this I'm, is an interesting fight. They I'm fought. excited about this yeah. fight. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. last one was a uh, uh, was very exciting for the uh, about four and a half minutes it lasted, and Eric Anders really put it on Darren Stewart. After about a minute and a half, two minutes in, he was dominating. He he landed a big straight right that started it, or straight left. Sorry, he's a southpaw that started it all off. Wallace Stewart, he landed three takedowns um in that those exchanges. And eventually, he ended up illegally kneeing Darren Stewart up against the cage. Not intentionally. Nothing like the Piotr P- P- Jan one against Aljamain Sterling. Though the interesting thing is it was a widened one week. a card right after that card with Jan versus... Yeah. Versus yeah. Aguil. I remember that. Two um, weeks but, in a row. Yeah. So he, he was cruising to a victory. He was cruising to a victory. Need him in the head. at Which it looked, he was trying to time. it was like John Jones versus Anthony Smith, though not, not quite as brutal as that. Um, He was trying to time Darren Stewart standing up, and he got it wrong because he had already done that same knee and timed it correctly two or three times before that. But anyways, down to my breakdown. I mean, the breakdown will consist a lot of what that fight was, but I'll also talk about a bit about their respective opponents. Eric Anders, so both guys have fought at light heavyweight in the past, but Eric Condors doesn't look like a fish out of water there, which Darren Stewart does as Darren Stewart's 5'11 or six foot, depending on who you ask, but a great deal less muscle mass than Eric Condors. I mean, Eric Condors was a linebacker for Alabama, best football program in the country. If anyone doesn't know, and he looked massive in their last fight, like he looked the size of Vittori almost or Paulo Costa probably walk, he probably came in at 205 on fight night, which Paulo Costa and Vittori come in at like 210. Um, And so, yeah, a good deal bigger and more muscular than Darren also has two inches on him in height and one inch in reach. Um The last fight was at middleweight and this fight, for whatever reason, is taking place at 205. So with that all being said, Eric Anders had a size advantage in this last fight. It could be even more pronounced than this fight. It hasn't been long. Like Darren Stewart won't have had much time to tack on a bunch of mass to keep up with Eric Anders in that department. And Anders is... More naturally, a 205 or he will just have to cut a lot less weight for this fight. He could come into this fight walking around 220, 215, whereas Darren Stewart probably will be walking around closer to the, the actual limit of 205, maybe 210 at most. Um, but yeah, so in that fight, like I said, he dominated Darren Stewart he got a knockdown with that straight left hand that which is his specialty. As he's a southpaw, he got three takedowns and was clearly on a way to the finish. I mean, the fight could have and maybe should have been stopped like 20 or 30 seconds before the knee because Andres was landing ground to pound and Stewart wasn't doing anything back.
1: That that's, one of those where
0: the referee just stands there going, fight back, fight back. And the fighter guy isn't fighting back and he still doesn't stop it.
1: Right, That that's kind of... Um... I mean, the knee is what it was, but that's kind of the way I saw it, too, is it could have been stopped before that knee was ever landed. Yeah.
0: But that's academic as uh, it was not no contest, but it does matter because if you get finished by – every fight's different. Don't get me wrong, but it's a good sign for Eric Anders coming into this fight. Um, So techniques for Eric Anders, he uses the counter left off of low kicks and other strikes really well, timing it. Perfectly on opponent strikes. Uh, the, the straight, that straight left and overhand left is extremely powerful when it lands flush. He has legitimate one punch knockout f- power and, and it hurt Stewart several times in that first fight. Um, but Stewart isn't a slouch in striking though, but he, I do believe Anders is a better striker. He has slightly faster hand speed and definitely more power. Stewart has some knockouts on his record, but he doesn't have that one punch. Knockout power that Eric Anders does have, um, and also if we look at the opposition on their records, Stewart's is much worse. So I'm going to go through their wins and losses or their be- biggest ones. Eric Anders has beaten Daryl Mearshart by split decision. It must be said. Brendan Allen, who's probably who's right outside the top fifteen, like he's probably number sixteen in the world at middleweight right now, and Rafael Natal, um, but that was by knockout for his signature wins. While Stewart's best wins are the mid hit Duran win, which was a split decision. Yeah, that, I, I don't want to do MMA math, but I do want to make it known what kind of opposition they faced. That's not a great win to have as your best or second best win, which is other great, good win is Maki Patolo, which was via guillotine in the first round. Um, but n- neither of those guys are on Eric Anders' level. Eric Anders has lost to uh, his... The, his only five losses are Christoph Jokko, who's very good, top 20 middleweight. Yeah, Roundtree. he is good. He's good. I mean, he fights so stupid, but he's a legit 205er. You know, he's a big 205er and he has legitimate KO power. That one was a decision, I believe. He lost to Eli- Elijah, I forgot, Theodoru. whatever Theodoru, by split decision you know, real close fight. Thiago Santos in his, in Andres' one and only main event by retirement, meaning his corner. Right. He didn't come he, out he for the third he round. He was done. But Right. Yeah. Between rounds, he was done. But, he I'll get to that later. But he held his own in that fight for uh, uh, like, he got six takedowns, I believe, in that fight. And then Leoto Machida. Which um, is
1: uh, the Machida one. I, I, I was going to try and throw it in before you said it, but I think this is, this one's really telling. It was a split decision yeah. against a 2018 Machida, you know, five rounds as well. I think, I think this fight's very telling, even though he lost.
0: Yeah. It was, I mean, it, he, he definitely held his own. I mean, Machida is obviously past it, but. In 2018, he was much less past it than he is now, and at that time, I mean, I, was that his debut? Was that Eric that was, his, um No, that he, was his. That he, was his third UFC fight. Right, he
1: had uh, yeah. Rafael he, Natal he, before that, which was a good fight,
0: and he had yeah, uh, Marcus out. Perez. Yeah, and then Brendan Allen the hate before that to get him into the UFC. Um, but yeah, Leodo, the he, I mean. Eric Gondas was ten to zero at that point in his career. He hadn't tasted defeat yet, but still relatively inexperienced and had not fought with someone like Lyoto Machida, which there aren't many people out there like Lyoto Machida. Exactly. So it just shows he's lost and lost closely against Elias Theodore and Lyoto Machida. Um, the only not the I'm not saying the best of the best, although you could count Tiago and Lyoto to some extent up there. But he's lost the guys that are. Very, very quality. Yeah, so they're, their, they're they're real names. Yes, we go to the, the worst one is Theodoro, but that was another split decision, and he's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. And three of these guys are light heavyweights. Where I mean, Anders is a big middleweight. He wasn't a big light heavyweight. He was average there. Um Tiago's obviously much bigger than him, even if he used to be a middleweight as well. Right. And
1: Leo Leo jumped back and forth between the two weights. Yeah. But I mean he he was a very big one eighty five and a respectable two oh five guy.
0: Yeah. But if you look at those losses versus Stewart's losses, Darren Stewart so his two most notable losses are to Edmund Shabazian and Kevin Holland. Obviously great strikers. But both have, and they were, but in both fights were split decisions, which that I feel like leads to him being overvalued by odds makers, maybe explaining why he was the favorite in the first fight, as the, those are guys with the very exploitable weaknesses, which we've seen recently. Uh, Darren Stewart, he, he took down Holland repeatedly, e- exploiting that weakness, um, but just not enough, not as much as someone like Brunson or Vittori, who just totally tore into him, or even someone like Mearshart, who I thought Mirchart won the Holland fight, but that's a story for another time. Um and then the split decision versus Edmund Shabazian, I think that was on the contender series.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, it was it was Ultimate that,
1: Fighter fi- finale.
0: Oh Ultimate Fighter, yeah, yeah. Um even though neither of them participated in the season they were on the finale. Uh yeah, and Edmund also has another very exploitable weakness, which also wrestling can be is a weakness of his to some extent. He's a good wrestler offensively, but when he gasses, he can get wrestled with ease, and he gasses very easily. Still, lost to both of them. He also has far less impressive losses to uh Bartaj Fibinsky who he saw get submitted by Mirshart a couple of weeks ago. Julian Marquez, Marquez yeah. decent, but nothing special. Um And Carl Roberson, which that's his second worst loss, because Roberson's a good kickboxer, but Roberson has Holland, Kevin Holland syndrome. He can't defend takedowns. We just saw him get manhandled by Brendan Allen um, and in, submitted.
1: Roberson beat him with a rear naked choke in the first exactly. round. I mean, very Roberson early in.
0: a good wrestler or grappler, and he rear naked choked uh, Darren Stewart. And then his worst one, Mar Barroso, who – He's no longer in the UFC. And Barroso actually beat him twice, but so the first time was changed to a no contest because of an accidental headbutt, so it doesn't really count. Um, but yeah, Barroso's now, I think, in PFL and losing there a bit. Actually, I forgot to check his resume. I, I, I did earlier, but I don't have it pulled up. Let's see how Barroso's doing to see how that win has aged. Okay. So, okay. That, never mind. That's not bad. He, he's, he's doing okay in PFL. He fought in RCC also. Um, but still, it's not the UFC. He was cut from the UFC after uh, two consecutive losses, after the Darren Stewart fights. <clears throat> so that, that, it, that, that shows you uh, the level of competition. So Andres has only been finished ever by Thiago Santos, and even then he made it three rounds before retiring on the stool. If it was a three-round fight, he would have made it all the way. But it wasn't. It was a main event. While um Darren Stewart was finished by both Robertson and Marquez, who are a far cry less than Tiago Santos. Also, Eric Anders' size helps a lot when it comes to wrestling, as does his football and American high school wrestling background. While Darren Stewart, as a Brit, is less experienced in that department. I mean, oh. the British wrestling are coming British wrestling is coming along, but it's still nowhere near the level of American wrestling because they don't start them so as young. Cause they don't have the infrastructure in the schools. Uh, yeah, you have to do it at MMA gyms, pretty much. Yeah, it's British
1: wrestling is weak, and uh, I was a high school wrestler. And I'll tell you, um, because you mentioned it, just about um, our infrastructure. I started in a wrestling club when I was five years old. You know what I mean? We, yeah, exactly. Uh, in America, we do wrestling big like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, guys like, yeah, all a lot of guys in the UFC did, too. I mean, Justin Gaethje, one example, he started when he was six. Um, but anyway, uh, also, Darren Stewart can only boast a 65% takedown defense, which is below average, while Eric Gonders has 80%, which is above average. Stewart, he was taken down six times by Daron Wynn, who's a decent wrestler but a midget, eight times by Edmund Shavazian, even when Edmund was gassed. Seven times by Francis Marbaroso, and three times by Anders. Just in that first round of their fight, um, he's been taken down in almost every UFC fight he had. But those are the ones where he was taken down the most. Uh, Stewart, even though it was only a, like a four and a half minute fight, Stewart had a, over a half around, like two minutes and thirty five seconds of control. Or no, sorry, Anders had two minutes of thirty five, two minutes and thirty five seconds of control against on Stewart. I said that backwards. It's just showing Anders can take Stewart down and hold him down. Um, Against Bartosz Fabinski, Darren Stewart was held down and controlled for a full 15 minutes almost. Um, Bartosz has good top pressure, but is very submittable and is much smaller than Eric Anders. He has that Polish judo, so it's a bit different style. But Stewart couldn't get out from under him at all and couldn't throw up anything in terms of BJJ. I don't think... I don't know what belt he's in BAJJ, but I have never seen anything impressive from him in that area. Eric Anders was able to repeatedly take down Tiago Santos, which is no easy feat. I no, mean John no, Jones no. couldn't take down Tiago Santos, although Tiago was he had learned a lot by the time he fought John Jones, but still he he earned six takedowns and over a full round, like five and a half minutes of control time against Tiago Santos, even though he lost, it shows he has the wrestling to take down guys bigger than him and Stewart is smaller. So all in all, I really don't see this rematch going different than the first one. Hopefully Eric Anders doesn't make the same mistake he did last time, but I think he can pressure Stewart, find his chin almost at will with that laser left hand and take him down uh, and hold him down. So I think, I don't know if it's a finish or what, but I'm surprised that the odds are so low considering how dominant Anders was in the first fight. I think Eric Anders should be more like plus minus 200. So I'm doing Eric Anders money line here for one unit.
1: I like that bet. I, I, um, if I were the guy giving the picks, I might go 1.5 on this just because yeah, I don't see it going anything different than the first fight. The only reason there is a rematch is because that illegal yeah. knee. Which, as we've discussed, uh, the fight could have been stopped before that. I don't see it going any different at all. Yeah.
0: I mean, every fight's different. Who knows what'll happen? But I, I definitely think that yeah. this is the value side. For sure. Like, just yeah. for sure.
1: Right. There's there's a... Uh, with this kind of fighting MMA, I mean, there's the anything can happen element. You know what I mean? Someone can yeah. shock you, but if you look at the numbers... that the Anders is the only way to go here and i think i think it, we don't do a lock of the week but if we did i would almost guess this is the lock in my opinion All
0: right. i i understand that sentiment um though we have some really good bets coming up later i feel like in in our main card um so on to the featured prelim which is a great fight i'm just going to get this out of the way quickly cuz I don't have a bet for it, but I wanted to talk about it because it's such a great fight. Um, this is the fight I'm second most excited for, more than the main event. Um, Brad Rodell versus Drew Dober, uh, uh, just a oh, great. I, I love striking, Dober, dude. He's a he's Muay Thai a, matchup.
1: Dober's a great personality. I love him.
0: Yeah, he is, and he he he's like Island Jovan. He could be a model, although Jobon really is a model. But anyway, Brad Rodell he fights out a uh, city kickboxing and Tiger Muay Thai. Alongside Alexander Volkanovsky, he does the tape study and game planning for a lot of his teammates on both sides. He, he's in the corner for Volkanovsky and Volkanovsky's fights, obviously including his title fights against Max Holloway. Um, he, he, he just has a great mind. He's one of the most technical and intelligent kickboxers in the UFC today. The problem is he doesn't have the physical frame to back it up like Jude Ober does. He uses faint shifts, pivots, frames, diagonal retreats, you know, on angles to constantly create angles and open up the opponent's guard after he has read their games. Um, he's, an, he was a excellent pro kickboxer, although he was always one step below the champion. He's fought Cedric Dumbe where he lost the split decision. He fought Regian Erstel, the one championship. Uh, I, well, also Dumbay is the K1, right? Yeah. Yeah. K1. Um. World champion, a really, really famous guy in that circuit. Regian Erstel, the one uh, lightweight champion, um, and has beaten John Wayne Parr, although who's a legend, one of the best kickboxers or Muay Thai fighters ever. Although he he was older when he beat him, still an impressive win. But this is MMA, Um and his wrestling defense has come a long way. It, it was shown in the. Mustafaev and Jamie Malarkey fights Mustafaev, a Dagestani who's more of a striker, was got knocked down by him in the first round but was able to uh sweep him from the bottom and hold him against the fence but then and in that first round but wasn't able to do much with it. Wasn't able to do much damage just holding there in the clinch or with his back pressed up against the fence on his butt. Um, and the Malarkey fight that was just everyone should watch that fight. That's one of the most under appreciated fights in ufc history jamie malaki is a solid wrestler and brad Riddell was able to get out of it although he got taken down a few times and he was able to win that fight um one problem is Riddell is not a finisher i mean you don't have to be a finisher to be great in the ufc but it certainly helps um and like i said his physical frame is not nearly what drew dober's is Uh, on the flip side drew dober is not nearly as cerebral as brad Riddell. But he's much more physically gifted. He's, Judober is so thick. He used to fight at welterweight. He moved down because he was a short welterweight, but he is a thick, thick dude with muscles for days and finishes for days. Um, he has, he fin, he went on a three fight finish streak before the unfortunate matchup with Islam Makachev. Um, Against solid competition too. Alexander Hernandez, second round knockout. Nasrat Hakpras, second round, first round knockout, one minute in. Marco Polo Reyes, first round knockout, I believe. He also trains at Team Elevations, so you know his cardio is great. He's one of the primary primary training partners of Justin Gate G because they both love to scrap, love to go at it. Even though Trevor Whitman isn't, you know, f- one of his coaches technically isn't in his corner, Trevor Whitman and his gym do a lot of work with Team Elevation, of course, because obviously because Gaethje and uh, Dober are good friends and sparring partners. Right. Um. The two, two gyms are just together a lot. And he has coached Dober for sure because he's helped out all the Team Elevation guys just like Elevation helps out his team, uh, O and um, you could especially see uh, Whitman's influence on the timing of Drew Dober's jab and straight left combo. Well, his jab, his solo jab, and his jab then straight left one-two punch, um, which come as his opponent is coming slightly forward in the, either their ry- rhythm or an entry into the pocket with their weight forward, like kind of when they're off their feet and their weight's coming forward, that's when Whitman teaches you should sting them with the jab. They're off their feet a little bit. Only one foot's planted. Maybe none if they're really messing up their footwork, their weight's forward. So it comes into your jab and bam, you hit them right at that exact moment. Um, So I like that from him. You know, I like jabs.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love jabs too. You know that that's, that's one of our main things we preach on this show.
0: Yeah. So, and, and, he He's able to use that really effectively uh, to, to land big big combos, do a lot of damage. He, he hit Alex Hernandez repeatedly with it, for example, in his last win. Um And I'm not going to discuss the Makachev fight because it pretty much has no bearing on this fight. Islam Makachev is a Khabib-like wrestler. Drew Dober has famously bad submission defense. He was also submitted by Benil Dariush in a fight that doesn't have that much bearing on this fight. Because Darius is a BJJ black belt. Brad Riddell is a kickboxer. These guys both have fair enough grappling. I mean, Riddell has developed it for MMA. And Drew Dober was a wrestler in, uh, in... I forget if it was college or high school or both. I think both. But neither of them like to use it. They both just like to stand and bang. And that's why this is such a banger. I'm, so right. uh, to finish up, uh, Drew Dober has great leg kicks. But I'd like to see them more. He's a southpaw, so he's always working up to set that straight left with jabs and a lead hook, a really nice lead hook, um, which gives him good looks in this open stance matchup. As Riddell is, is an orthodox fighter, um, he he also he the left is used as a counter frequently. He knocked out Nazar Hackprast, who is another of those lightweights who's top twenty, top twenty five in the world on and could be ranked with a win or two. Um, he KO'd him with a counter overhand left while Hackprast entered on a low kick, just beautifully timed punch. He's good at working the body or fainting level changes to open up the head. Um, you can see that in most of his fights that go past the one minute. And noticeably in the Hernandez fight, he had come a long way with doing that even more. Um, so yeah, ultimately, I feel though the odds are pretty close to correct with, I think, dude, Dober is like minus 140. Um, see what it is. yeah, minus 140, 145, as high as 152, as low as 138. Yep. Um, Brad Riddell coming back at plus one ten to plus one twenty five in that range, plus one twenty eight the highest you can get him. Um I could make an argument really for both of these guys here, but ultimately I'm just going to say the odds are right, and I'm just going to enjoy this for the banger it is. I mean, and the over under. Um, excuse me, the odds lean towards it going over. Uh, that goes the distance is minus one fifty. If if pretty much if, if Riddell wins, it's going to go the distance. If Dober wins, it could go the distance. Or have a knockout. So, no value there, in my opinion. Um, my, moving on. Yeah, well, sorry. wait.
1: My only color on that would be uh, Riddell. I think uh, five of his wins are by knockout. Let me see. Uh,
0: yeah. Outside five, of the UFC, though.
1: Right. Five of his nine wins are by knockout. And Dober, he's got the head of a 185 or a 205. Or it's gigantic on his body. Like you said, he's a very thick dude and he hasn't been knocked out since 2011 i believe it is
0: yeah he has a yeah. great great chin <laughs>
1: yeah so I, I won't throw the money around but if you want to lean i'm i'm leaning dober in this
0: i would lean dober just i mean i said the odds are correct you know so that that does say lean dober if we don't consider the odds but of course we were betting the yeah. the line not the fighter um but yeah i i, I agree with you so moving on to the main card. Um, this first fight, Jamal Hill versus Paul Craig. Jamal Hill was really impressive in his last fight. I mean, he came in as a slight favorite against OSP, and a lot of people were like, This why is this guy a favorite against OSP, former title challenger? But That doesn't make any sense. But we saw why he he beat him up. He stuffed takedowns and beat him up. For the eight minute and a half minutes that fight lasted, and eventually the ref was like, "No, enough of this." OSP didn't go down. He's showed heart and toughness, but yeah, that it, it was not a pretty night for OSP backers. No. Um, before that, he beat break Abreu in a minute and fifty seconds. It will return to a no contest for for Weed. So pretty lame. Um And then before that, Darko Stolcich, who's a great wrestler in his own right, showing he can uh, avoid takedowns. So I really do like Jamal Hill to win this one. I mean, we know what Paul Bear Drew Craig is. He's, he's, uh I mean, he's probably the only, there's some good guys with good BJJ in the UFC, but he's like the only guy who that's all he has. I mean, he can strike, but it's all just a way for him to get down to the ground. When he fought, for example, when he fought, Kennedy Nzechuku, who's a massive guy. He's like the Nganu of light heavyweight. Nzechuku just kept hitting him, and then Craig would just fall on his back and dare Nzechuku into his guard. With 40 seconds left in the fight, he was able to get Nzechuku into his guard and triangle choke him. He's most famous for the meme submission over Magomed Ankolaev, who he got with one second left in a three-round fight after Ankalaev beat him up for those three rounds. But right now, I mean, he's on a a four fight on beaten street he had he had a submission of vinicius Morera. he had a split draw with mauricio shogun hua which i i think a draw was the correct score there he uh got choked out Antigulov in two minutes and then the last fight the rematch against shogun hua he he had shogun tapping to strikes in uh in about eight and a half minutes but that this is the ghost of shogun um You know, that, I think that might be his only knockout. Yeah, the rest are all, if you go down, okay, he has a knockout in first fighting championship, one knockout on his career, all the rest. He doesn't have a single decision on his record. A decision win anyway. The only decision on his entire record is the Shogun who would draw. So he's a guy that finishes fights or gets finished by strikes. So I mean, there's two ways this goes pretty much. Paul Craig by submission or Jamal Hill by knockout. Um, I was really oh whoa. Jamal Hill. So the odds were minus one sixty five and Jamal Hill by knockout. Now I'm looking at them. They're still that on Bet Online, but on Sports Bet and Five Dimes, they, there's minus one twenty five. I might have to reevaluate this. Um, I'm not prepared to do that mid episode. But I'm going to go back to the lab and, and take a look at what I think these odds really should be. I think for a method of victory prop, I thought minus 165 was too much for me. Minus 125 might not be. The other way it could go, though, is Paul Craig by submission, which you can get at plus 505. I mean, Craig's not going to win the decision. Jamal Hill could win a decision if he doesn't knock out Paul Craig, though I think that's likely. Um But yeah, Craig, my submission could be value for, you know, a sprinkle prop play at five to one odds. Um, But as of now, I'm saying nothing, but I may tweet this out or maybe put out a part three if I decide I, I like that at minus 125 odds. Stay tuned. Should be an interesting fight. The, you know, classic striker versus BJJ matchup. All right. So Bilal Muhammad versus Damian Maya. Maya, obviously a legend. Muhammad has had. Some interesting headlines recently. I mean, he's on John Andick and Kenny Florian's little podcast network doing Remember the Show. Um, He's funny on Twitter. He had a main event versus Leon Edwards where he got eye poked. That was devastating. Um, But he's broken into this top 15 of this welterweight division and is doing decent for himself. Though he doesn't have a real signature win. His... Is his one problem. This would be that signature win. Although Demian Maya is 43 years old, he's still a legend and still more than capable of submitting people. I mean, he submitted Ben Aspirin less than two years ago. Um, and, and beat Anthony Rockham Martin and Lyman Good in that same year. Um, and his, his only losses are all to title challengers in the last, I mean, ever really um but recently Gilbert Burns became the second person to ever knock him out um three decision losses to Usman Col- Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley back to back to back before that you have to go all the way back to 2014 lost to Rory McDonald Jake Shields before that Windmin before that Muñoz before that Silva before that Marquardt so look all those names i mean Tyler yeah that, that's a who's who <laughs> Munoz. yeah um and in, he, I mean, he beat Jorge Masvidal in 2017, but he and he's, uh, I believe he has now, pat, he has 11 submissions. I believe he's passed Royce Gracie and is in second place for most submissions in UFC history after the man, the myth, the legend, Charles Oliveira, the lightweight champion of the world. It makes me really happy to say that. I love Charles Oliveira. But yeah, I digress. So Demi Maya, we know what he's about. He wants to get you down either in top position or bottom position, whatever he can manage because he's not good with the striking i mean he outstruck ben Askren, and that's the only person that he's ever outstruck
1: yeah Um, jake paul outstruck him too so (laughs) (laughs) um
0: yeah i mean uh blah muhammad like i said he doesn't have a signature win he beat tim means in a split decision and randy brown in a unanimous decision back in 2017 but his losses joban luke jeff neal are all top 15 guys whereas he hasn't beaten a current top 15 guy. Um so this is the big one for him. Every time he stepped up to top 15, he's lost. He has to get this win to move forward in the rankings. Um and I don't think he has that potential to get, you know, top 5 or top 7 even. I think he's a 10 to 15 fighter in the welterweight division. although the bottom half of the welterweight is pretty weak. Maybe if he gets stronger he might not even be ranked. Just- He's he's well rounded. He has good strikes, good striking, uh, kicking game, uh, solid wrestling. Probably best in the clinch, but he's not amazing anywhere. Um. It it's gonna be tough for him if he gets above the guys in this division up higher, but I do believe he can beat Demi and Maya just because Maya's age and gas tank, which has never been great, has, is really bad now. Unless Maya submits him in the first round or, or maybe second round or can hold him down for the first and second round and then cruise into a, a decision, 29-28. I see Bilal winning this, but I'm not comfortable enough to lay minus 220 on a guy who's unproven at this level. And although he's a cardio machine and will definitely outlast Damian Maya, um, I just don't see Bilal as being worthy of laying minus 220 juice here. I thought about going fight goes the distance, but Maya is such a submission ace. I mean, it's really hard to, and especially when goes the distance is minus minus one sixty. I believe are the odds. I wasn't, didn't want to leave that type of juice, even though I think it goes the distance, but I, I think there's a slight edge maybe, but not enough for me to lay down a bet, an official bet. Um, I yeah, kind of, so yeah, I yeah. kind
1: of agree with all that. I think, uh, Maya, uh, he's an anaconda. If he gets a hold of you early, you know what I mean? And he, and he can get one of those yeah. kind of, he, he likes to do that body lock and throw like that little kind of judo trip in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. To get people it's down. Go there. Yeah. And, and then you'll be in trouble. But he, he's so old that you can watch even not really hard punches. You can watch, you know, just like a mild power punches draining his gas tank. You know, he's yeah. not going to go far.
0: Yeah, although he he never gets put out. He's only been knocked out twice ever by Nate Marquardt and Gilbert Burns, who are both huge power punchers. Yeah,
1: Nate, Nate can throw some blows, for and sure. Gilbert
0: Burns, I mean, I think Burns is overrated, but not his power isn't. He has legit power at welterweight more than someone like Colby or even Leon Edwards. Although I think they're better fighters than him. But, Bilal, yeah, and Bilal's not a finisher. He has one rear naked choke against Takashi Sato, who's awful, and one ground and pound win over Augusto Matano, who I don't think is in the UFC anymore, back in 2016. Um, most of his fights go the distance when he wins. He is a one minute loss to Vincent in right.
1: I think this is, uh, most interesting to watch if, uh, Bilal doesn't finish Damian Maia. Then uh, yeah. that tell that tells everybody exactly what you just said is he's a he's a an eleven to fifteen guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's never going to be upper echelon in that division.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think most guys above him, like Myers, one spot above him. But I think other, most guys above him, other than that, would beat them, beat him. Maybe almost all of them. But that's. And I don't want to diss him. I, I like Bilal, No, he's a legend. He's a legend. Skill. Oh, you I meant, you meant Maya. I meant, yeah. I meant Bilal.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't want to Bilal, diss him either.
0: No, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to he's diss He's a cool him. guy. I like his story. Yeah,
1: I don't want to diss but, him, but the facts yeah. are the facts.
0: Yeah, and this is a Picks podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, also, Bilal fights out of Rufus Sport. Good gym. I, 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 I believe they're coaching him up pretty well. I mean... He's in kind of in his fighting prime, 32, but 11 years younger than Maya, who's approaching that Randy Couture age of oldest ever fighter in the UFC. Uh, but yeah, no value here. So let's move on to the three five round fights. Ding, ding, ding. Is
1: this the first time we've had three five round fights on a card?
0: No, no, no. Uh, We have three title fights commonly. I mean, Usman versus Mosfetal card. Both who versus hospital cards, three title fights. Oh yes, uh, Izzy yeah, yeah, versus you're Jan, right. Three title fights. Yeah, it happens. UC one hundred. Um, yeah, but all right, let's get into it. The the big one that's probably gonna sell. Uh, I don't know. Is Izzy, he? Is he's getting becoming a star? But Nate Diaz sells pay per views in America. Is he sells? Is more of a star globally than in America. So the big one, Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards, first ever five round non title fight, non main event in UFC history. The co co main event, right? Because um, it's, it's supposed not to be last month. It's um, not the, the first.
1: It's not the first uh, non title fight that was yeah. five rounds, but the first one that's uh, not th- the event third event fight title. down. Right, the third fight down. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, um, this one I'm gonna say it right away. Nate Diaz has almost zero chance of winning this fight. People might say, "Oh, but he beat Connor when he was an underdog." Connor is not Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, first off, Leon Edwards is bigger than Nate Diaz. Connor was smaller. Leon Edwards has um, much better. I mean, Connor's t- the takedown defense and stuff has developed, but it, Leon Edwards is, is better. Leon Edwards' jiu-jitsu is better. Leon, Edwards, I mean, Leon Edwards is actually a submission threat, which Connor isn't. Um, and Leon Edwards is uh, great at keeping distance. He has such high level distance management. His only flaw is low output, though it has been higher in recent fights. Which he usually his UFC career, he averages like two point six significant strikes per minute. In his last uh, three. Fights no two two of his last three because the Gunnar Nelson fight almost always almost was entirely on the ground. But it's two five round fights against Donald Cerrone before he fell off that cliff figuratively, Yeah. and RDA before he moved back down to lightweight when he was still fresh off his loss to Colby Covington for the uh, interim strap at welterweight. Um, he 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 averaged like four and a half uh, significant strikes per minute then, really upping the ante and. He landed, shoot, I'll pull up the stats for how much he landed outlanded them by, but it was a decent amount, and he beat them both. I believe it was both 49-46, or one card on the uh, RDA. One scorecard said 50-45, which I don't hate. Um, but And then Leon's other flaw is a lack of finishes. He has extremely high fight IQ. He has a big hand speed advantage here. He's an extremely technical switch stance kickboxer with solid cardio who's also developed a very high level takedown defense since his last loss, which was to Usman, uh, what, six years ago, five years ago. And this unique ability that to control clinch exchanges effectively by framing and using vicious elbows to dicta- dictate how these exchanges take place. Um, I would recommend everyone watch a, the downward elbow video on Leon Edwards' elbows. Elbow makes some of the best striking base content out there, along with Jack Slack and Dan Hardy. Um, just really great analyses. You'll understand what I'm talking about when you watch that video. And elbows from the clinch aren't anything unique, but it's the way Leon does them. The way he controls, he doesn't just do them to the damage, he uses them to control clinch situations. If he wants to step in the clinch, he'll use that elbow to control the clinch so that he can get into it. He'll also use it to get out, so, so he can do it effectively um, and just control the direction at which he exits, all sorts of things, uh, while doing brutal damage. He, I mean, against RDA, he opened up a massive cut on RDA's uh, eyebrow, which, if that happens to Nate, the fight will be stopped because of Nate's scar tissue. Um, yeah, he'll, he also, of course, he'll uses, bleed
1: easy, so yeah. some elbows will make it rough.
0: Yeah, so as well as the usual techniques like underhooks, overhooks, body locks, and head positions. um, Body locks, I have to say, are his best takedown uh, method. He's not great on single or double legs, but body lock trips, just beautiful. He got rda down with ease in the first round of their fight and controlled that round entirely with that body lock takedown um, and just top position. But yeah, so he willfully enters clinches with strong pressure guys like Nate Diaz. That's what Nate Diaz does. He pressures, you and tries to dirty boxes to stop their advantage, um, advances. When they're coming forward, he can't back up all the way. He'll run into the fence. So he, he elbows, gets in the clinch, punishes them with more elbows, slides out the side, gets back to the center. Masvidal even was able to hurt Nate badly with elbows from the clinch. I mean, the first round, that's how Masvidal, opened up the big cuts on Nate and dropped him in that first round, knocking down Nate Diaz, not an easy task. Um, Leon is even more effective with them, although he doesn't have maybe the same power as Jorge. He's more technical in almost all aspects, and his clinch elbows are more effective um nate has had his has in general has his hands down way too much but especially in that situation in that clinch break he had his hands right down he was expecting a clean break from the clinch mosfet all bam if he keeps his hands down versus leon he could easily easily get finished um and i don't mean dr savage finished i mean finished finished um excellent footwork as well he knows how uh, leon he knows how to circle out and not get trapped against the cage He knows how to create angles to land his elbows in straight punches. The only clear loss in his UFC career was to Kamaru Usman, the champion. He had a split decision, lost to Claudio Silva. But that one could have been scored for Leon. Uh, Real close fight. But also, it was seven years ago. And Leon was, I believe, in his second UFC fight, maybe first. But wins over uh, Walter Wade RDA, Cerrone when he was still good, Gunnar Nelson and Vincente Luque, which Vincente Luque, that's a win that's aged really well. Um, the most violent man in the welterweight division. Uh, so he, outside of Usman, uh, Leon has the best resume at welterweight currently. I yeah, Wonderboy has some good wins, but he's coming off of some losses. He's um, fought some.
1: He's fought some quality guys. Uh, guys that maybe uh, people that don't follow the sport like really deeply yeah. wouldn't necessarily recognize the game. But he's had some wins over some very quality guys.
0: Yeah, and he just doesn't get... I mean, he was supposed to fight Tyron Woodley last year, got canceled due to COVID. Burns got the fight instead. If Leon had gotten that fight, he, he probably would have beaten Woodley and probably would have had his title shot already, but COVID messed everything up. Um, I think he deserves a title shot anyway over Colby 100%, but it sounds like Colby's getting it. But anyways, I think this fight it was booked just... I mean, UFC's like, all right, win-win. If Nate wins, which he won't, they assume... I assume then we'll get Leon some name recognition recognition his stock will be boosted and he'll get his title shot if Nate wins then we can market him versus Jorge again or even argue to give him a title shot um argue for the Connor trilogy so many options that are money making So there it's, it's just a win-win to have Nate fighting Leon Edwards
1: yeah I agree this this was yeah. um a great business matchmaking
0: opportunity yeah. here and it, it was Nate who demanded the five rounds because he believes it'll help him. I'm not so sure. I think it gives him more chances to be finished. I mean, he his gas tank has looked worse as he's aged and he hasn't fought in two years. Um, last fight brutalized by Jorge Masvidal, the fight before that, he beat Anthony Pettis, but that's the ghost of Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis, we just saw him get beat to crap by Clay Collard, um, who did a better job of beating up him up than than Nate did, honestly. Um, so it's just Nate's so far out of it and there's a lot of Nate fans who don't understand that, but that's a different story. Um but Leon knows he needs to make a statement. He knows, okay, I want my title shot. I'm on a, a nine flight unbeaten streak, eight wins, one no contest. I need to go out there and finish Nate. I can't just go to another decision because I am a decision machine, but Nate has a lot of scar tissue He's not a ranked welterweight. They're giving me this to boost my name value, but I need to put a stamp on it. And he said this publicly, not just – I'm not just assuming that. He said he knows he needs to finish Nate. Um, Usually he's not concerned with that, so he doesn't go out there. He just goes out there to fight. He doesn't go out there to finish necessarily. Um,
1: Well, this this is a five-round fight because that's what Diaz wanted. And Diaz is a draw. Diaz is making money here. He knows he's never going to be the champ, but he's a name. People want to see him fight. Yeah. So he, but this is, uh, Leon knows he has a shot at the belt, you know? So, so he, he needs, like you said, he needs to go out here and put him away.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's that. Well, just remember that, that piece of info when it comes time for me to place my bet intent. um, So, yeah, uh, if we do look at the ground, Leon's ground game, he has good game get-ups against wrestlers that are better than Nate, such as RDA. Um, He doesn't have an offensive guard from the bottom, but he does use it well to get up without giving his back, which is key against Nate. You cannot give your back. Um, He jabs well from both stances and he has a really long reach. I believe he has two inches of reach on Nate Um, and he uses the jab to set up his straight punches, which Chris cleaned down the middle. He's good at countering opponents' entries with the jabs, so they run right onto it. And he cuts cage well when he feels like he needs to pressure his opponents. He can strike off the back foot or the front foot, which is great. I mean, that's a quality anyone who's kickboxing in the UFC should have, whose style is based on kickboxing. He has a variety of weapons. Um, Not maybe as many as most people, but he he keeps it fairly simple. But he's really good with all of these. Teep kick jab a one-two combo a lead hook which he'll use that lead hook to enter the collar tie that lead left hook enter collar tie smash the right elbow or vice versa because he can switch stances um straight left like i said roundhouse to the body or the head knees from the clinch and of course the elbows that we've talked about which he doesn't just use the clinch he can use lead elbows uh you know just in distance if he gets close in the pocket So, on to Nate. He hasn't fought since UFC 244, the BMF belt, and he's only fought two times in the last five years. He's overrated at welterweight due to beating Connor. He's much, much smaller. Uh, Not much, much smaller, because he is very long, but he doesn't have the weight on him that Leon does. Leon is a natural welterweight, a decent-sized welterweight, too, whereas... Uh, Nate he's caught between lightweight and welterweight you know he's skinny but tall and long for Right. lightweight but welterweight he's not actively staying in this division fighting all the time so I believe that's why he's here if he wanted to make a run he'd go down to lightweight uh, he's 20 and 12 in his career but is 4 and 5 at welterweight in the UFC those wins Rory Markham Marcus Davis Connor and the ghost of Anthony Pettis while the losses are to RDA Rory Mack Dong Hyun Kim, Jorge Masvidal, and Connor, which Leon Edwards might be the best of all of those. Um, that was featherweight Connor, who was great on a tear, but a lot smaller. And yeah, southpaw and it's a southpaw, but he's able to switch stances, create angles. Though he's much more comfortable on a southpaw. That's one of his best techniques. You know, shifting into punches, um, techniques from striking anyway striking from distance anyway he's great dirty boxing of course um, he has great BJJ but he often can't use it because he doesn't shoot for takedowns much I mean that's where oh you're a wrestler now come came from because he pressured Connor into shooting Nate wasn't gonna shoot himself but he pressured Connor into shooting then took his back um, yeah he only averages 1.19 takedowns per fight including his WEC fights. Um, Leon averages 1.3 takedowns per fight. So Leon, not a wrestler, averages more takedowns than Nate Diaz. If we look at his last 17 fights, he has not landed more than one takedown. And that's only six times where he's landed one takedown. So six fights out of his last 17, he's landed takedowns. Ele- or one takedown, 11 fights where he didn't land one. And some where he got absolutely ragdolled. He got taken down seven times by Rory Mack and eight by Benson in his lone title shot. Uh And the and those guys didn't weren't susceptible to his bjj they beat him beat him cleanly let's say leon isn't even a wrestler like, he's a kickboxer but he has the same takedown accuracy of nate which is in the 30s um and like i said he lands more takedowns but i don't think that'll matter since leon leon shouldn't be going into nate's guard unless he really thinks he can finish him he drops him with an elbow or something thinks he can finish him that's the only time he should go into nate's guard but if he does end up in nate's guard he is good there i mean he's good at keeping himself low wrestling put keeping you know his shoulder and head below the guy's chin so they can't use you know uh, an offensive guard on him
1: i think I think that's the one thing he should avoid. He should not try and ground and pound because Diaz he's underrated off his back. He's very good.
0: Very, very, very sure. Um, but if he ends up there, I don't, it's not like, it's not like Connor when Connor ended up on the ground with Nate, who's just, was just a fish out of water. Leon, Leon has the skills. He's been training all aspects of MMA, not just striking for 14.
1: I, I just feel like, yeah, I agree with, um, yeah, Everything you said, risk and I, yeah, he, he has the advantage on the feet. So if you put Diaz on his back, let him stand back up because that's, yeah, that's the place he's, he's very wily. And especially there's going to be blood making people slippery. He knows how to fight that way. Yeah. Th- that's, I think, uh, Diaz on his back is actually an advantage to Nate.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. Um, Matt yeah, Horhead did the same thing in their fight. When he knocked Nate down twice, he had him get back up after kicking his legs a few times. Um Yeah, so since Nate's one and only title shot against Benson Henderson, he's four and five. He's been outstruck often badly in those five losses. And Leonard Edwards is definitely the best opponent he has fought, not just recently, but ever in his 32-fight career. We're not talking pound for pound here because it's two different weight classes. We're talking just total size, Leon Edwards, or with size, Leon Edwards is the best opponent Nate has ever fought. And Nate is not in his prime anymore. He's 36 years old. Jorge Masvidal outlanded Nate almost 3-1 to in only three rounds of fighting. And Leon is better than Jorge. Uh, I don't think that's even a question. I think Leon or Wonderboy is the second best welterweight on planet Earth right now. Obviously, this one's first. Um... Usually, Nate would have an advantage in the clinch, leaning on guys in dirty boxing. But Leon is so strong in the clinch because, A, well, he's just stronger and bigger. But also, he controls the entrance and, entrances and exits from it with his vicious elbows and framing. Um, they did it amazingly to RDA. Like I said, he cut RDA's uh, eyebrow open badly. Like a really long cut, like an inch long, half an inch, maybe not, like a quarter inch wide. Um, it, it was a pretty RDA. bad cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nate's not, definitely not RDA. Nate's only chance in this fight, I think, is a freak submission. He doesn't even have the one punch knockout power to put out Leon. He, he more relies on dirty boxing and volume. I mean, he has some knockdowns, like, uh, against Connor. He, he really hurt him, but that was an acute, that was like four or five combos back to back before Connor was even wobbled. So yeah, I don't think he's putting out Leon. It, n- I don't see any world where he wins a decision. I mean, anything's possible, but like 0.01% chance. So I get, I give Nate, like, I mean, I want to say Nate has 1% chance to win this, which would obviously create value on his line. This line is minus 600 now. Um, and that's not something I, if, if that was the only option, I would really consider betting it, but there are other ways to bet this fight. And two main ones that I considered. One is the minus 5.5 market, something we've used before in. Five-round fights. We used it for Usman against uh, Masvidal 2 and Valentina against Andraj. Hit on both of those. But this is wider. Um, it's minus 285 for Leon Edwards, minus 5.5. Which, if you don't know what minus 5.5 is, brief explanation. It's either you have to win by all the judges' scorecards combined of more than five. So it's a spread, obviously. If you win inside the distance, you win. If it's a close fight, say 48-47, 48-47, 48-47, the minus spread loses. The plus spread wins. Five-round fights are always minus 5.5. Three-round fights are always minus 3.5. So minus 5.5 at minus 300. Or no, move down to minus 285. I like it, but I don't love it. There is a better way to go about this fight getting better. And I flip-flopped on this for a while because I think minus 5.5 is like that's... mm, I can't say the word lock, but it's very, very, very likely to hit. The odds should be like minus 700, 800 for that. I mean, overall the Edwards odds should be, they're minus 600. They should be minus 1200, minus 1500. Like Amanda Nunez versus all of her challengers level odds. That, that's how much better Leon Edwards is, both stylistically and just an overall skill, but Nate Diaz has scar tissue. He's not immortal. I mean, he has been finished before by Josh Thompson. Jorge came close to finishing him, uh, dropped him twice in their fight. So I like Leon Edwards inside the distance here, because especially being able to get it at plus 120. Um, and I'm putting one and a half units on this. Leon Edwards inside the distance, plus 120, 1. 1.5 units to win 1.8 units. I like that bet. Yeah, if you if you want to play it safer, go with the minus three hundred, minus five point five, a spread that's available on at the very least. It's on Sports Bet and uh, Bet Online, probably other books too. Is becoming more popular, especially with offshore books. And that's that for that fight. Um, on to the people's main event, the fight right. of the year last year. The rematch of the best, well, just the most anticipated fight of all 2021. Davidson Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno 2. The rematch. First fight, if you ever watched it, go watch, talk, pause this podcast and go watch it and then come back. It is amazing. The best flyaway fight ever. I could gush about it all day, but I won't. I'll get right into the nitty gritty. First off, I want to say that I don't believe. Davidson Figueredo was as compromised as people make it out to be from his hospital visit in the first night. There is even a theory that he faked it to get the IV drip because he has such a brutal weight cut and you can't use an IV drip normally. Um, but even if he did have it, the IV drip would have helped him recover from the awful weight cut so much that I feel like it would have evened out a bit. And he shouldn't have that this time unless he, unless he gets has food poisoning again. Um, but this time he still has the rough weight cut. The last time he did have to make it twice in a month, but so did Moreno, even though Moreno has a less rough weight cut. When Moreno comes in this time with the benefit of having felt Davidson Figueredo's power and being more confident in his ability to take it, I mean, in that fight, Davidson Figueredo was hurt, like, from a single punch landing and wobbling you slightly. Figueredo was hurt more than Moreno was by any one punch. Moreno wobbled Figgy slightly because figgy has an iron chin he recovered very quickly but he wobbled figgy more than figgy wobbled moreno even if figgy's biggest cleaners overhand rights didn't wobble David uh brandon moreno these guys are just both so so durable i mean um but moreno shouldn't try to take the power obviously he should fight a smart defensive fight because figgy can still put anyone out oh yeah um but Figgy Figgy has learned about Moreno too, but he's so overconfident, and the things he's saying, like "Oh, I'm going to put Moreno out in the first round," uh, I don't know if he's t- even now is taking Moreno as seriously as he should. He he's a very very confident person, and I understand why. He's a physical freak at 125. He would be a decent size bantamweight, but Moreno clearly gave him a tough fight, and he should take him more seriously, especially because Brandon Moreno is the more technical fighter. Well, Figgy might be able to be the more technical fighter if he tried to be, but he doesn't. He leans on his insane physical attributes. Like I said, they're super durable. Neither of these guys has ever been finished in a pro bout. Moreno was only finished once, a submission on the Ultimate Fighter in an exhibition against Alejandro Pantoja. Good fighter. Figgy obviously has FU power for flyweight, but Moreno ate his biggest shots, like I said. um, And like I said, Figgy was wobbled once he started to tire out which even though Figgy doesn't totally gas out, like he has the gas tank to go for five rounds and be competitive. But after the second round, you can see a noticeable decrease in his volume. And I'll get to the stats on that later. And Moreno started to take over after the second round. Uh, The third round, fourth round were were definitely Moreno's rounds, which is obviously what made it a draw at the end, along with the point deduction. The problem with Moreno is he has that Mexican fighting spirit that everyone talks about, legendary Mexican boxing. He loves to get in the pocket and scrap, which works against most flyweights, but not Figueredo. He's never going to come out the better on exchanges in the pocket. He doesn't have the same power, even if he has better technique. He needs to recognize that he can't just exchange in the pocket with Figueredo, especially early on. I want to give a shout out to Look at My Opinion. Uh, Check out his video on Moreno's improvements he needs to make in this fight. I concur with everything he said Um, and avoid those exchanges by using his jab, which is maybe the best in the division. Just use that jab, pump it out there to keep distance um, slip and rip, you know, figure it loads up on a big power shot, slip under it, hit him in the body, move out, you know, make himself tire, make figgy tire himself out by throwing overhand rights and big power shots for the first two rounds. Then maybe you can scrap later on. Um, He's also great at leaning forward from a stance, something Israel Adesanya does. Uh, leans for, his head forward of his stance, although he keeps his guard high as he keeps his hands at his side. The goal is to draw your opponent into attacking your head, even though the body would be more open. You attack the head, your head's forward of your stance, so it's easy for you to step back right into your stance and have the opponent miss. He has that straight guard raised right above his head, um, and he wants his opponent to throw a hook around the guard, a hook requires more of a wind-up and, you know, more follow-through than a straight punch. So when his opponent's a little off balance from the hook, he's great at leaning back and countering. And he rips to the body and the head very, very well. He's a better straight puncher than Figgy, but Figgy's looping punches are obviously just unreal for a 125-pounder. But my point with that is that Moreno can beat Figgy to the chase by punching straight when uh, Figueredo throws... Looping books right. and overhand yeah. rights. Um, I think Moreno might even have faster hand speed than Figueroa. It's very close. It might just be that his straight punches get there quicker, but his hand speed is very fast. I mean he's flyweight. Um but so whatever Figgy I, I don't want to sound like I'm just saying, oh Moreno's gonna wash Figgy, because I'm complimenting Moreno mostly. It's just because we know what Figgy brings to the table, and that is insane physical attributes. And when I say his technique isn't as good as Moreno, I'm not saying it's bad. He's just overconfident. He acts like Rod Tang, um, a famous Muay Thai fighter, out in one championship. He just leaves his chin out there to be hit. And this is evident with his 53% striking defense in the UFC, well below average, committed to Moreno's 62%, which is about average, a decent striking defense. He knows he has a crazy chin and knows he's a physical monster to... That just makes his whole game just more effective. It means he can fight with almost no respect for his opponent's power because he knows it's a fraction of his. Which is true. There is not a flyweight alive that can match him in power and a lot of bantamweights that can't. Figueredo has a 2.89% knockdown ratio and has never been knocked down himself. One of Figgy's biggest shortcomings, though, Is his gas tank, and it's because of that power he loads up big time. If he paced himself, he could go five rounds with ease. Because well, flyweights, you know, obviously have better gas tanks than bigger weight classes. Um, but he he doesn't. He loads up on big punches and and tries to finish his opponents in the first two rounds, which he usually does, so the gas tank isn't a problem. But in the Mirando fight, we saw him slow down after the second round, and Mirando won that third round, a close round, but Mirando won it, and then the fourth round. Was all Moreno? Moreno clearly won the fourth. I mean, it wasn't like a domination, but Moreno clearly won the fourth round. It, it, it's not like Figueroa totally gases out either; like he's not breathing from his mouth and gasping for air, like heavyweights unable to do anything. But his power and volume definitely wane. I mean, his biggest shots were in round one and two, and in those two rounds, Figgy threw a combined 102 significant strikes against Moreno, and then in the last three rounds combined only 126. Uh, you can do the math right there. That's a lot less strikes per round. It's not a like a huge drop-off, but it's significant. And no, it was noticeable during the fight, too. And there was also a clear difference between the pop of those punches as the fight went on. Uh, Moreno, I mean, he ate them all fight, but he ate them even better later on. And Figgy's chin waned, too, as Moreno was able to really sting him and, and hurt him a bit in that uh, third fourth third and fourth round. Moreno in that fourth round accrued a minute and 35 seconds of control time and was able to fully establish top control. Um, which in the rest of the rounds, neither man was able to do that. Uh, he, he accrued no more than 30 seconds of control time in any of the other rounds, and a lot of that was on the clinch, not on the mat. Just the scrambles in this fight were out of this world. Both men were able to get back up. Um, but if figgy had been at you know peak gas tank there's almost no way moreno could have you know got him down and kept him down cuz figgy is figgy's a bull on the ground he will fight to get back up and he has the strength to do it and the scrambling ability too but moreno's body lock trips are money in the bank i mean that's when he got most of his takedowns uh 4 for 8 he was in the fight even though only one he ended up in full top control um both men got several takedowns really um i will i think figgy had two or three and moreno had four but only that one from moreno uh, he was able to establish top control for any length of time but so when figgy did get him down in that fourth round and establish top control this is why i have one of the most interesting bets i've ever had figgy this is after the ball shot which was a really bad one really bad one that got the point deducted figgy began to gouge brandon moreno's eyes he was it clearly intentionally sticking his finger in Moreno's eyes. The referee warned him once and he went right back to it. And Moreno was, he he, he got frustrated with that and he stood up. I mean, he, it's not hard to do stuff when your opponent's gouging your eyes. He wasn't like digging in, like really wrecking them, but he was putting the fingers in the eyes. Clearly, Moreno either had to close his eyes or stand up. And he, he stood up and Figgy got up. Um, So I, and Figgy held the fence against Alex Perez, he's famous for cheating consistently, even more than cowboy Oliveira, I'd say, so keep in mind, keep remember that when I get to the the bets here we have at the end, but Figgy is also no slouch at takedowns um and he has submissions on off of his back in a wicked guillotine, as we saw against Perez. the body lock takedowns like Morenos avoid the guillotine entirely and Moreno's scrambling ability let him get out of all of Figgy's takedowns with no damage done, except for the very last one in the fifth round, which was when Brandon Moreno's arm was fucked up. It looked broken to us. He said it wasn't. He downplayed the severity of it. The later he revealed it was pretty bad, that we still don't know what the specific injury was. Um, but that's the only time that Figgy was able to get him down, and it it was when Figgy won that last round of the fight. I believe that if that... Fifth round didn't have Moreno with a forearm injured so badly he could barely throw his power punches. I feel like he could have won that fifth round. And that's not a thing people are talking about enough. I mean, the fight was tied on two out of three scorecards going into that fifth round, rightly so, in my opinion. And if Moreno had been able to throw like he did in the previous rounds, the previous two rounds or even the first second round first and second rounds, he would have landed a lot more than eight significant strikes on sixteen attempts. Because every other round, he landed like 30 um, and attempted f- like 50 to 60. Um, and that round would have been competitive, which it was not. I mean, it was the least brutal round of the fight. Figgy outlanded him by about double, 16 to 18, something like that. But if the same thing happens this time and Moreno's arm is fine, I expect a war in the fifth round, one that Moreno could win as he has the better gas tank. Uh, so as the fight, I look for Figgy probably to take the first two rounds. But he's so intent on – he has taken Moreno's words uh, and the fact that Moreno complained about the ball shot, which it was a really bad ball shot. Figgy thinks he exaggerated it. He's taken Moreno's words that he thinks he can win this personally. I mean, I guess to hype himself up, but he's really angry in uh, some videos saying I'm going to finish him in the first or second round like no matter what. And I think if he really does to try that, do that, which he does it often. He always does it, but it comes naturally usually. The first fight, it didn't come naturally because Moreno's so tough. If Figgy does try to... It's so hard to get him out of there, he could gas even quicker. And when I say gas, again, not totally gas, just get tired and not be able to throw with as much pop. Um, and then I think Moreno could win the third, fourth, and fifth round if if Figgy wins the first two. Uh, so I think it's very possible. Um, My bets for this are interesting. The first one, the simplest one, is this is a flyweight fight. So most flyweight fights go the distance because they're flyweights. Even though Figueredo is a great finisher, Moreno has never been finished other than a submission when he was much, much more inexperienced. Um, And Figueredo has never been finished, only has one loss on his resume at all. So I like the over in this. Over 4.5 is plus money um at, it's kind of a glitch in the system maybe because this is on bet online bet online goes the this fight goes the distance is minus 110 which is worse odds than just the over that leaves us an extra half round there where the finish comes we're good um so yeah over 4.5 plus 105 odds and i'm, I'm putting 0.7 units on that i think plus money for a flyweight over is great the last fight went over and i don't see this fight I see just guys, so both guys being so durable that this can go. And uh, I think the over 4.5 should be definitely minus money uh, a bit more like minus minus one thirty uh, around that. I, don't, I don't like that bet. I do. So the second one is an odd one, one I've never done before a draw for this fight. I'm betting on a draw because if we could see the exact same thing happen, we could see a three, two fight, Where Figueredo cheats and gets point deducted, I've I've given examples of him cheating. I mean, the ball shot that affected the first fight so badly. Um, Fence grabbing in the Perez fight. Um, You see it throughout his career. And then that eye gouging in that last fight could have even had another point taken from that if the referee saw it. So I think there's the draw line is always plus 5,500, plus 6,000. So this is the only time I really see value in it because there is a path to a draw that has been established and i could very well see happening again um so i'm i'm it's plus 5500 across the board i'm putting one of a unit on that 0.05 units
1: this is, this is the moonshot betting on yeah, the draw right here it's like yeah, i mean <laughs> we're like uh, yeah. spacex it, it's, it's or something else dude we're doing it,
0: it. it. yep yeah. it's obviously a long shot but i feel like it's value because uh, my line is lower than this because it's adjusted for the fact that Figueredo cheats and gets points deducted from him. Or, and he's a, a, he's a really great power puncher. He could get a 10 8 round and then Moreno come back and win 3, 4, 5. Who knows? Um, but yeah. And then, so my last one, I want to bet Moreno money line because I think at plus, it was like plus 220. Now it's like plus 180, plus 190. But, and so I don't like that I've lost value there. And also, I think I can get better value live. Figueredo comes out strong. I expect Figueredo to win the first round, maybe first two rounds, land some big punches, look good.
1: Oh, and yeah. Try to you, finish him. You might get a better Moreno number, like exactly. up to plus 300, yeah. 350. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, if Moreno loses the first round or first two rounds, we could. I mean, it depends on how the fight's going. If it's going really badly, I won't pull the trigger. But if it's a close fight with Moreno looking a little worse than Figgy, uh, I'll, I'll definitely pull the trigger. So, I, and obviously, I can't put a podcast out for that. But stay tuned to the Twitter or Discord, and um, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled or just do it yourself, make your own adjustments. But I will be posting this play, and I will be tracking it. You know, because as an official play, I'm probably going to put half a unit on Moreno. Live, if the bet, if the fight goes the way I would think it's going to. Also, it takes out, if I live bet him in the first round or second round, it takes out the chance that he does get finished in that round, those rounds, which is the most likely time for Figueredo to get a finish. So I just see a lot of advantages to the live bet there. And, yeah, stay tuned uh, during the fight. So... All right. Now, um, I, yeah, of- I,
1: I don't have much to add to that fight. I just want to say that, uh, but I agree with you. This is, this is the people's fight on the card. This is the one. Yep. I mean, I'm excited about this next fight we're going to talk about, but that's a fight yeah. I really want to see right there.
0: Me too. Like I said, my most anticipated fight really of the last two years. Now to the main event of the evening, Israel Dasanya dropping back down to the middleweight after his first career MMA loss to Jan Blachowicz. fighting Marvin Vittori in a rematch of a split decision, which should not have been a split decision, what was that, three years ago now? Yeah. In that first fight, I'll just sum that up real quick, he outstruck Vittori for two rounds, stuffed his takedowns. Third round he made a mistake. He sprawled well, but Vittori cut the angle and Adesanya couldn't get his wizard in and accidentally and went away from the fence when usually his MO and the best way for him to defend takedowns and most people to defend takedowns is to get closer to the fence. He was pushed away from the fence. Even then Vittori didn't do much with it, but he is he Izzy got up, got taken down again, got up, got back to range. Um then Vittori won that third round but got clearly outstruck in the first two rounds. Split decision is insane. Everyone pretty much unanimously agrees that Izzy won rounds one and two. Since then, Izzy, well, Vittoria has improved as well, um but Izzy has improved more, I would say, though in different ways. So, I mean, we know what Izzy is, but I'm going to, his striking is just, I personally believe, well, okay, my favorite fighter ever is Anderson Silva, but I personally believe Israel Adesanya is the best striker in MMA history, any organization, any weight class, pound for pound, best striker in MMA history. Izzy uses feints, low kicks, his reach, which is insane, John Jones-esque, and distance management to establish the fact that he can beat you up from range. So he draws people in because they don't want to get hit with that jab and that leg kick anymore, tricking them into charging forward because he he wants them to charge forward because he's primarily a counter striker. Only Kelvin Gastelum had really any success with this uh This style, because he's built like a tank, has a, an iron chin, and is a decent striker. But even he got rocked several times, especially in that fifth round, that fight, which is one of the best rounds you'll ever see. Robert Whitaker, Derek Brunson, Paulo Costa, all got knocked out trying desperately to close range with Israel. All of this about is he lines up perfectly with what Marvin Vittori does. He does his damage and wins fights with volume and pressure, at least in the striking ranges. So the question is can he close range effectively enough to do any significant scoring? Izzy wants him at close range, or at least coming into close range, so he can counter. But it's nearly impossible to close range safely against Izzy, really. It, which, it, I mean, it's easier said than done uh, for Marvin if he just wants to come in. He has, and he has a tendency to bull rush in for his volume striking and his telegraph power takedowns, which that kind of epitomizes his style. All brute strength, not much subtlety. Not that he's a bad fighter. He's a good volume fighter, good pressure wrestler, and chain re- good chain wrestling. Um, decent jiu-jitsu. He's a brown belt, but he's a strong brown belt. He's a really strong fighter. And he what he lacks in in technique he makes up for in strength and determination and work ethic. But if he is going to close range safely and effectively his jab, and especially doubling up on it, is the only safe technique he has to, to close range. He did it in their first fight in round three, if you're not doing it at all in the first two rounds. Um, that was an interesting adjustment he made on the fly, but he still wasn't able to, you know, close range enough to really strike with Izzy. He did get in on a single leg, like I said. Uh, and John... John Blachowicz did it all fight against Izzy. That was how he won the striking against Izzy, especially doubling it up to the head and to the body. Jab head, jab body. The jab eats up range. It's, it's, it's basically free movement because you can move forward behind your jab and there's not much they can do about it compared to if you just move forward or if you move forward throwing wildly. They can counter you. The jab, much harder to deal with. You have to parry it, get out of the way, and in the time the opponent's doing that, or getting hit in the face with it, you step in, close the range, put them back against the fence. So it's shown to be effective against Izzy, but Izzy's coaches will surely expect it and have worked to neutralize it, as that's the thing that gotten him beat last time, more than the wrestling. More than Jan wrestling and control in the last two rounds, that's what beat Israel Adesanya for the first time. Um, and we'll see if if uh, Rafael Cordero and and uh, Marvin Vittori's coaches, other coaches, see that and and work on the double jab but even when izzy when people close range effectively on izzy he gets out of there really well i mean it's hard against yon they were in a smaller cage and yon's so big and doesn't have a major reach disadvantage like every middleweight does against izzy but that costa fight that where izzy tore apart Paulo costa's leg and then knocked him out it showed how well izzy can get his back off the cage costa's also a power volume uh power pressure volume striker he's not a one punch knockout guy although he has more one punch ko power than vittori who only ever has two knockouts, only one knockdown down in the ufc and no knockouts in the ufc um but izzy was able to get his back off the cage by circling out with incredible footwork um c steps and t steps and vittori will try to do that to him with the double jab push him back so for marvin to stop izzy from circling out like he did to costa uh Marvin needs to kick with the way Izzy circles. If Izzy circles to Marvin's right, Marvin throws a right roundhouse kick, catching Izzy as he moves that direction, his body moving into the kick. But that's also easier said than done. Izzy jabs to blind his opponent momentarily and then circles out before they know what he's doing when he's uh, circling out. Uh, or he he fakes one way, goes the other After throwing that jab or before throwing that jab. He has so many ways to escape range. And this is back to the 30 foot octagon. Not the small octagon at the apex. So that helps Izzy in this aspect. It might hurt him with takedown defense. Because he wants his back against the cage. To defend takedowns. Um, But I'll get to wrestling later. Izzy's feints are used better than anyone. In mixed martial arts. In order to make reads on opponents. While damaging them with leg kicks the entire time. As we've seen him do. To countless people, especially Paulo Costa whose leg was basically dead. Um and then he he sets up his big strikes usually counters. It sounds simple when I say it like that, but it's really it's really not. I mean he uses such a variety of things that I could talk for an hour. I mean people much smarter than me could talk for an hour in depth and it wouldn't completely uh break down Izzy's striking, but I still want to recommend the best striking, like probably the definitive work on Israel Esangus striking is a downward elbow video or a three part downward elbow video. Uh, check him check that out. I think I've already shouted him out once this video. He just does really great work. Um but yeah, is he will bring people's hands away from their face by setting up certain punches and fainting those punches again. Like, okay, so he jabs, he sees the opponent's reaction. The hand comes forward to parry it, which Marvin does. Marvin reacts to feints a lot, especially in that first fight we saw. So feints the jab. He notices Marvin's hand comes away from his face. Next time he he throws the real jab to set it up, then feints again and comes around with the hook. He can hit him in the face because his hands are away from his face parrying. That's just one example. He has so many ways to use feints and reads on his opponent to exploit their guard. Um... He can also catch him with head kicks the same way, or, or vice versa, go from head kick to punch, which he did versus Derek Brunson. This is one of the most incredible displays of striking understanding that I've seen ever. Um, he was able to knock out Derek Brunson, which after he beat him up and defended takedowns for a full round, he, the final knockout blow was he used the right question mark kick to Brunson's head, but it wasn't for the knockout. That was not the goal. The goal of that question mark kick was to hit Brunson's left arm. And so, you know, when you get hit something, it bounces. So hit Brunson's left arm, it bounces away from his face, leaving his face open. And Izzy threw an almost contemptuous, what was it? Yeah, right hand through Brunson's guard and dropped him. And Herb Dean had seen enough after, I believe, three knockdowns in four minutes. That is just just incredible. Everyone should... uh just go back and you'll notice that on the knockout shot. And that that one fight, I have to say, was one of the most complete dominations in the history of the UFC up there with Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, Anderson Silva versus, um, Forrest Griffin, and Joanna Jacek versus Carla Esparza. It it, it was only a round, but Brunson had nothing for him. Nothing. And Izzy made him look like a fool. Um, Vittori, he's a better defensive striker than Derek Brunson. Brunson's a good comparison point for Vittori because they're both wrestlers who can strike. Brunson has more American wrestling, more technique. Vittori has more power um, in his wrestling, more of a chain wrestler. Um, is more technical and effective as a better defensive striker. He just doesn't have the same power as Brunson, but Brunson's pretty sloppy with his big punches um and Vissori doesn't have that same power because he pulls his punches he doesn't follow through and he usually doesn't throw with his hips sometimes he doesn't even throw with his body he just throws from the shoulder um and that's why he only has the one knockdown in the UFC and no knockouts two knockouts in his whole career on the regional scene in Italy um but that Jack Hermanson knockdown two fights ago was a thing of beauty Jack has a good chin um I'm gonna analyze that knockdown here he was able to use his footwork, which this was an open stance matchup because of the towards the southpaw. He was able to use his footwork to get his front foot outside of Jack's front foot, which is always the goal in open stance matchups. You're fighting for that outside foot position. And he was able to get it um, briefly and use a one-two to split the guard perfectly. Just And that, that left hand coming straight down the middle when you get outside someone's guard, the angle is such that it, it, the force is amplified and it comes down the pipe way faster. Jack was able, after Jack crumbled to the ground, he was able to lock Vittori down, just holding him close to avoid being finished by ground and pound. Um, but one thing that is noticeable, that's a flaw in that sequence and many others you'll see with Vittori, is when he's trying to land with volume, you can see his lead head, hand not protecting his head. He, his, his hands kind of cover, hover more around his shoulders. Um, And Izzy will be salivating looking at that thinking, yeah, that's how I'm going to get him that, that hook. I mean, we've seen Izzy obviously get two two knockouts with left hooks versus Whitaker and Paolo Costa. That counter left is just when it hits right on the temple, Izzy's so precise, even though he's not the most powerful guy, he has power and precision to knock people out. But back to Marvin. One thing I think he should use to be more effective is is work the body in this fight when he closes range successfully. In the first fight against Izzy, he landed 6 out of 7 body strikes and 19 out of 24 leg kicks. But only 19 out of 121 head strikes. That's And that's the con that Izzy puts on people. He tricks them into thinking, oh, my head's right here. I'm dangling out in front of you. Punch it. Punch my head. Pulls his head back. Slips to the side. Frames. Gets into the clinch. So many techniques to to put that head out there in front of his stance, pull back into his stance, retreat and dodge it in, in a variety of ways, but mainly pulling back into that stance. Um, It's like a dog chasing a squirrel is, is my analogy for that. I mean, you have the head moving, you have it going side to side. You think if I just hit him, I can knock him out. He's so skinny. The movement excites the, the dog or the opponent in this case, which Marvin Vittori is kind of like a rabid dog at times. He with his anger and his, his power and determination and just his yelling. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the, the, the movement excites them and they can't stop chasing it, even though they can't hit it. I mean, 19 out of 121 that that's, that's abysmal. That's less than one in six strikes landing. Well, that's where,
1: um, my comment on this fight and you can continue your your analysis, mm -hmm. but, uh, Vittori needs to come up with a way to make Izzy go first. You know what I mean? Izzy Izzy is longer and he's faster, and he does exactly what you're saying with his head. He puts it out there, and he's very good at pulling it back, and then he can counterpunch. If Vittori runs the leg kicks and gets Izzy to start throwing first, then Vittori can beat up the body because, I mean, what? There's a what is a four or five inch uh, height advantage? The reach advantage is huge. And the speed advantage. He's got to figure yeah. out a way to make Izzy go
0: first. The thing is that I, it sounds good in theory, but you know, it's easier said than done for two reasons. One, the Yoel fight. I know Marvin doesn't want to be Yoel in that fight, you know, getting pretty much getting booed out of there and still losing in the end. Um, but it, it, it's like, if Izzy gets behind on the scorecards, he can go, he will go forward. He did it to Jan, but it's, you have to establish your striking first as, and make him want to catch you.
1: Right. That's why I and, think, and also, uh, the leg kicks that I think they'll be yes, big.
0: They'll be big, but so will Izzy's leg kicks and Izzy's much more powerful and precise with them. Um, Marvin just kind of touches the leg, touches the leg. Izzy. He'll do hip yeah. faint, hip faint, then hit the leg. Yeah, then if he's like, th- I got you, I got you. Yeah. While he's showboating, he'll hit you again when you're least expecting it.
1: If he throws Spider Silva, yeah. fucking, uh, Scarface type leg kicks. They're brutal. Yeah.
0: I mean, anyone, if you want to see a master class in leg kicking, watch the Paulo Costa fight back that watch his hip faints and his, and his, uh, shoulder faints and you'll see him m- giving Paulo Costa every look possible just to set up that leg kick without any chance of it being checked and just the speed. Insane. But also Marvin's whole style is built on going forward. So it's other opponents like Rob Whitaker, When Rob Whitaker fights Izzy, he has to make Izzy come to him. I mean, not all the time. He can go forward a bit, but he has to make it a give and take of both men going forward and both men being able to counter. But that's not Marvin. Marvin is a pressure fighter. Marvin wants to go forward. Marvin is that rabid dog, and he sees that squirrel, and he doesn't want to just get the squirrel. He wants to take the whole tree, rip it out, and throw it down. That's what my, that's my analogy for Marvin Vittori. So, uh, yeah, that that might be one way to beat Izzy, but I don't think it's Marvin's way to beat Izzy because he wants to go forward so well.
1: Yeah, um, maybe, maybe maybe um go to the body when Izzy's putting his head out there instead of yeah, head. Done, exactly. Go to the body.
0: Yeah, he pulls the head back. Just hit the body. Just hit the body all day. Um, but I mean, I'm an Izzy fan just because he's such a fun uh. striker. So I hope Marvin doesn't take my advice or that <laughs> advice. Um, but anyway, but yeah, like I said before, doubling up the jab is the key. That's people have said it for a while that that's how you beat izzy in striking doubling up the jab cuz that's that jab is the punch he deals with the worst yeah and um, he, doubling he, it up he yeah. comes
1: well he comes after the first one so if you double it up you can meet him before his shit lands yeah you know what i mean yeah and, and you go one to the head
0: one to the body it it works wonders having izzy's hands confused then you can come in land a power shot or get in on his hips um but Jan also had the reach to keep up with Izzy, Izzy's distance striking and still land that jab. Marvin, I, I'm going to look at the actual reach advantage here. He's going to be,
1: he's going to be way down because he's like four or five inches shorter yeah, and he's six. not as, yeah, he's not as long. So
0: yeah, Izzy's four inches taller and has a six inch reach advantage in this fight. Um, really the only physical advantage Marvin has, I mean, he has more strength, but not more striking power. The mo- only advantage he has is weight but he doesn't nearly have the weight that Jan has. I've seen some really horrible takes on social media saying, Oh yeah. Jan laid out the blueprint. Marvin can do it. He, Marvin is almost as big as Jan. No, Marvin's like 15, 20 pounds. Wide. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Jan's an incredible Jan's physical taller. specimen. dude. <laughs>
0: yeah. And he's, he's a, he's a, Jan's not only a, a light heavyweight, he's a big light heavyweight and he can keep up with Izzy. And he's a much, much more technical striker, A much more powerful wrestler, more technical wrestler. Marvin is that that rabid dog. He's he doesn't have necessarily the technique to like cut angles super well. Switch from a single leg to a double leg, get the high crotch, elevate past the guard. Um, I mean, in general, he's not very good at passing guards. He goes his only guard passes or most of his guard passes are from full guard to half guard. And if his opponent turns onto their back, he can take their back or their side. Well, he only, he only that's has. About it. He, you don't see him advancing to full mount.
1: No, starts. he only has two submission wins in the UFC. You know yes. what I mean? In Most one, of his wins are a decision.
0: Exactly. He's a decision machine. And that's why I loved the over in his last fight, which we bet That was our first episode. Um, But, yeah, and one was against Carl Roberson. Uh, I mentioned him before yeah. because it was so insane that Roberson submitted Darren Stewart. Because Roberson doesn't have a good ground game. Vittori dominated Roberson, took him down three times in that first round or so. Yeah, and it Riddick was and choked him.
1: Yeah. Uh, um there was like thirty seconds left in the first round or something. Yeah. That he got him.
0: Yeah. And um Alberto Uda, who is long, long gone from the UFC. He he lost both of his UFC fights. Um he he that's Marvin's other finish in the UFC. Overall, Marvin has uh nine submissions. I think they're all by rear naked choke or guillotine. So there's not a lot of variety there. He tried to triangle choke, uh, Kevin Holland, but, and I thought it was going to ruin my over, but it didn't, he, he couldn't sink it in enough. He was just trying to brute strength it. And Kevin Holland just had space to breathe the whole time. Uh, yeah. Other than that, all decisions, all decisions, his two losses are, Izzy decision and, uh, shoe face, Antonio Carlos Junior decision and a draw versus Omari right for the Izzy fight.
1: I gotta laugh about Shoeface.
0: <laughs> you
1: know, you know Shoeface. Yeah, I know. That's okay, why I laugh. I think, yeah,
0: yeah. And then, so yeah, even when he, he got his first ever knockdown against Jacker Manson, I'm, I'm off where I wanted to be, but just he's not a finisher. Vittori is not a finisher. He has to get on Izzy and do that. But yeah. He, uh Marvin has to mess with Izzy's range management just to land the jab so he can double jab and it's so that's how good Izzy's range management is he keeps you in a place where you can't hit him but he can hit you you leg kick he's at the perfect range to pull his leg or just straighten his legs so it whizzes right by you see that so much in the first fight they had um but he his, he's so long and his management's so good that he can hit you from there but the important part of this fight, for Vittoria anyway, is wrestling. Izzy has been taken down 10 times in his UFC career, but he still possesses an 82% takedown defense. And six of those takedowns in his first three UFC fights. Two of them from Vittori in his second UFC fight. Gotcha. He got taken down three times by Rob Wilkinson in his first UFC fight, but he knocked him out. Uh, two times by Vittori in his second UFC fight. Won a decision. Um, and then... In a five round fight, I believe. Was Tavares a five round fight? Uh, yeah, five round, yeah. five round decision. Izzy got a performance uh. of the night for that because he just, he didn't get the finish, but he beat Tavares up bad. Um, Tavares landed one takedown. Derek Brunson, prolific wrestler, none. Uh, Calvin Gastelum landed one takedown in that whole fight and Calvin Gastelum had more success getting close to Izzy than anybody. Rob Whitaker has developed really good wrestling for a kickboxer. Especially, I mean, he took Calvin Daslam down a lot in their last fight and held him down. He couldn't get Izzy down on, I think, four, three takedown attempts. UL didn't really try. Paul Costa didn't really try. And then Jan Blachowicz took Izzy down three times. So, but most of the takedowns against Izzy in his career are in his first three UFC fights where he was stepping up a level, in, a big level in competition um and hadn't evolved his takedown defense to where it is now. And then against Jan Blachowicz who is much bigger and much better than anyone else that Izzy's fought as far as wrestling and just in general. Yeah. But Jan Blahovic, the reason that Jan Blahovic didn't, he gave out the blueprint, but it's a blueprint that's more complicated than people re- not coaches, coaches realize it, I'm sure, but more complicated than just your, just your average Joe realizes. Because Jan Blahovic didn't just shoot in on a double leg and take Izzy down that easy. I mean, in the first three rounds, Izzy avoided being taken down entirely. And Blachowicz had him, had him wrapped up in the clinch several times. Izzy was able to get out of the clinch against the fence. So even Jan Blachowicz with his massive size advantage, couldn't take Izzy down against the cage or through the clinch. How he did take him down was reactive takedowns. When Izzy was behind on the cards, he had to throw more and throw harder with, he couldn't just sit back and wait. He had to get ahead on the scorecards. Jan Blachowicz, that was Clearly his plan, it was one of the best game plans ever, one of the most impressive game plans in a really impressive win in UFC history, really, against a very complicated striker and and takedown defense master in Izzy. But he used reactive takedowns to get deep in on his hips and then take him down. He had a massive size advantage, which obviously helped. Um, and Izzy isn't, doesn't have great jujitsu. He, so he couldn't get out even. I mean, he can get out of of some takedowns. We saw him do it against the Tory. He was able to scoot up back to the fence, even though he got controlled for a couple of minutes, but he's not getting submissions off his back. And it's hard for him to, you know, uh, get his guard into a better position, just stand up in the middle of the cage, which is where Blahovich took him down. Where Marvin likes to take people down is against the cage. Where Izzy's takedown defense is at its best.
1: Yeah, that's not that. I have a couple notes on the takedowns for this, but yeah. I'll share him in a minute.
0: All right, yeah, I'm almost done with my spiel. Um, it, it, If you watch that main takedown in the Vittori fight, the one that won Vittori the round, it's clear that Izzy is a far cry from where he is today in takedown defense. Um, Vittori gets in on a low single, and Izzy sprawls, thinking he's ended the takedown, but his sprawl took him away from the cage, so he was parallel to it, not perpendicular to it, with his back facing it. So he wasn't where he wanted to be. He couldn't get the wizard when Vittori kind of just powered through because that's what Vittori does. He tried to, you know, circle around Vittori away from the cage. Not smart. Vittori was able to power through and get him down because Izzy couldn't get the wizard and didn't push the head down. Um, and then Izzy let himself be pushed even further away from the cage. Eventually, a minute and a half, two minutes later, he got to the cage and got back up, got taken down again, got back up. But if you watch Izzy's takedown offense since then, he's always able to find the cage when being taken except when being taken down reactively like Don did. Um and when he finds that cage, he's so good at using it to to stay up. I mean, if you watch the Brunson fight where he stuffed and it's what was it, like nine takedowns he stuffed in that yeah. fight? A lot, because yeah. Brunson just kept shooting, 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 shooting um he he's always able to get back and not just get back, but he's his reflexes are so fast he d- gets his hands right under um Brunson's armpits, lifts with the underhooks. He's able to get the clinch or just lift and then circle out and like I said, Vittori is better at takedowns against the cage uh he wants to smush you into the corner there, which you watch the Kevin Holland fight. that's pretty much all he did. But yeah, Izzy's takedown defense is near perfect there, and I don't see how Vittori can get Izzy down consistently enough to win two rounds, let alone three.
1: Yeah, I don't either. I don't see it.
0: So, give your what? What, what are your well, notes on the wrestling?
1: Uh, on the wrestling, and this is uh, personally from my experience, and personally from just watching it, but uh, you can't when a guy is uh taller and longer than you and more athletic. Cause Izzy is very athletic. You know what I mean? You, yes. a, a single leg isn't going to work on him. He'll be able to hop on one leg unless you get a lucky where you swing in for a trip, you know, otherwise uh-huh. you're not going to take him down on a single leg and you can't go in and just the kind of double where you're right under his ass. You either got to do like a, uh, like a power double where you just kind of almost linebacker them as soon as the opportunity's there, you linebacker them up towards the cage so they're stepping backwards and they're off balance the whole time, and then pull it. Or you got to go for the deep double when you when you grab under their ass, then you got to kind of drop down to their knees so you take them both out. You know what I mean? There's yeah, there's some real technique to it, and a lot of guys don't do that. You won't take Izzy down with a single leg. And you won't take him down with a traditional double against the cage. It's a waste of time because when you got a double on him, he's very good at pummeling his arms in and then using his leverage and size to get you off him. It's That's why he's got such great takedown defense, especially yep. against the cage. You either got to go deep on him or you got to power him.
0: Yeah, exactly. exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I think I like to hear it from a guy with actual high school wrestling experience, something I don't have. I only know it from watching. <laughs> yeah. Watching he, and learning.
1: Yeah, he's he's uh, uh he's an amazing athlete. I love watching him. He's I love watching specimen. yeah. He's he's uh my favorite fighter to just watch work since Spider in his prime. You know what I mean? He's amazing yeah. to watch.
0: Yeah, he's he, it's him and Justin Gaethje for me, my two favorites to watch he is brute violence. Izzy is speed and precision and technique. Yeah. Um, would you agree with me that he's the best MMA striker ever, or would you say Spider? Um, I would or say Wonder Boy. The other contested is Wonderboy. Boy.
1: No, w- Wonder Boy is very good, but I think Izzy and Spider are uh, right up there. Like, uh, you could pick a forty-nine percent, fifty-one percent either way. You know what I mean? No. I've, I've seen Spider do some shit that's just out of control. And yeah. is he's the only one that's come close to doing that? Just making, making motherfuckers miss and then popping them with their hands at their waist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just whop, whop, wop. I've never seen anything like that. Wonderboy is very, very good. And I like that he's carrying on the, uh, the karate tradition since Machida yeah, is old. karate, right? Gosh. Since Machida is old, Machida used to be the one guy carrying that torch, and and Wonder Boy's doing it now. But I think like Izzy and Spider are on a different
0: level. I, I agree. I mean, when I, I don't want to get too much into this, but I think Wonder Boy doesn't have as many tools as them. No, he doesn't. Uh, he he loves his sidekicks, uh, and and they're really effective, but. Yeah, his style is certainly unique. Anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, we well, let's...
1: uh, let me add on to that real quick is I think, uh, Izzy and Spider are better in the clinch and off their back and they can grapple more than Wonder Boy can. You know what I mean? So it adds, yeah. it, it, it makes your stand up better because you don't necessarily yeah. want to grab them.
0: I mean, Anderson definitely has better than both of them. Izzy, Izzy yeah. has really good TDD. Yeah, Maybe but the Anderson Wonder the Wonder Boy's come a long way, but Anderson right. was a black belt. Yeah,
1: he was a black belt, a legit one as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep, for sure. All right, let's let's finish this up. So I just want to talk about cardio real quick and quality of opposition. Izzy's cardio was insane. It's like up there with Max Holloway. Unless his nose is broken or something, he can go twenty five hard minutes and just never breathe from his mouth. Like after the on fight, he was still breathing calm from his nose. And that wasn't the most high-paced fight, though it had a decent pace, but it was 25 hard minutes. Marvin has decent cardio, but it's mostly just his brute determination. He'll be breathing out of his mouth within half of a round or maybe a full five minutes, but he can still also go 25 hard minutes as he's proven in his last two fights and use power grappling for a lot of that and pressure fighting, which requires some energy. Um, I feel like it's, like I said, it's just because determination and strength. He's, He's a crazily, mentally tough motherfucker. He's just laser-focused. He will not let anything get in his way, in his mind. Um, he cuts a lot of weight, though, which is the, uh, thing. I mean, I think Izzy has better cardio than him, partly because of that, partly because he's just more fit, uh, and for a cardio-style body. Um, but Marvin's actual fighting weight is about 210, apparently, that, um that hasn't been like confirmed or anything. He definitely walks around at like 210 to Um which that could compromise him, you know, if even if the way, if the guy goes slightly wrong, he could be in trouble. He also now has five round experience, especially the one with Holland isn't a great reference point because it was just takedown and laying on top. I mean, Holland had nothing for his takedowns. There's <laughs> a little tiny bit of striking, which Kevin Holland got the better of the striking. I, I would say but Vittori didn't have to expend relatively that much energy. He just was able to park in top position and rain down, you know, the occasional short elbow. Um, but the one with Jacker Manson, that was a very high paced fight. I mean,
1: yeah, I, that was a I good forget, fight. I forget the exact numbers,
0: <laughs> but it was, a uh, like a top five fight in middleweight history for total significant strikes thrown by both fighters. Um, and it ended up being the fight of the night. So that and that fight was grappling and striking. Yeah, Jack not nearly the, the striker Izzy he is.
1: That was a very good fight, and I like yeah. Hermanson, but yeah, you're right. He's no Izzy.
0: For sure. But that fight is the best reference we have for this fight, even though Kevin Holland is closer to Izzy in striking. So that's one thing you have to look at. Um, and Holland tagged him. I mean, Marvin has a chin on him because his, his neck muscles are so thick and he has his chin tucked so low, um, which makes it hard to knock him out. He's never been knocked out only losses by decision but Holland did land some really good clean strikes that that definitely woke him up I'll say that much um but yeah so I don't think cardio will be an issue in this fight but if it comes down to it Izzy has better cardio and so level of competition is clear 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 for Izzy we look at his fights well obviously I mean he's fought kickboxers like Alex Pereira which is his notable losses in kickboxing But he fought Melvin Guillard. Then in the UFC, Vittori ranked, now title shot. Tavares ranked. Rick Brunson ranked in the top five. Anderson Silva, legend, but he was old. Kelvin Gastelum was fighting for the title. Robert Whitaker was the champion. Yoel Romero, one of the best non-champions ever. Paulo Costa, undefeated prospect, who's really, really good. But Izzy was a horrible stylistic matchup for Paulo. But those are all top fighters. I mean, all top 15, some, many of them top five, like Costa, Romero, Whitaker, Gastelum. And I don't consider Vittori and Brunson top five, but they are technically top five at this moment. I just don't consider them top five in skill, you know, just because the middleweight division is weak right now. And I think Cannoneer should be above both of them. Anyway, Marvin Vittori's his toughest fights, his ranked fights, Omari Akhmedov, a decision... Which was a draw in twenty seventeen. And Akhmedov's not that great. I mean, he he's fighting oh who's Akhmedov is, who's Akmedov fighting? Tavares, I think. Um he I don't think Agmerov really should be ranked. He's I think Brendan Allen should be ranked over him, I'll just say that much. Then lost to Izzy, obviously. Then Tizafahera, decision win. Okay. The, okay, win. Andrew Sanchez, okay, win. Carl Roberson, Redniki Choke. Not a great opponent, but a finish. But his two opponents that matter are Jack Hermanson, who Vittori ended the hype train, and I think rightfully so, because Hermanson's so limited in striking, even though he's a great athlete and a great grappler. But he's he's still he's a top ten middleweight and Kevin Holland. Obviously the blueprint was there. It was it was no big deal to beat him. So the only win Vittori has that really impresses me is Jack Hermanson. And that's not a top five win, that's a top ten win. So yeah. we're just looking at levels to this. Marvin's beaten two ranked fighters. Izzy's beaten. Everybody. Uh, yeah, everybody. <laughs> and the only loss is to the light heavyweight champion. So I, it, it, I don't think Marvin Vittori deserves a title shot. He only got the title shot because he lost the split decision years ago. You know? You shouldn't be getting a title shot off of the Kevin Holland wind when you weren't even the one to expose Kevin Holland. Brunson exposed it. Marvin just copied that game plan. Really? You know?
1: Yeah, and um, and um Izzy's loss to Jan, I feel like uh he kind of bit off more than he could chew because he yeah, he ran into a a super legit light heavyweight champ. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jan for is sure. no joke. There there may have been uh lots of light heavyweight contenders that Izzy might have pieced up. You know what I mean? But yeah, I yeah. think
0: if Reyes was champion, Izzy could have beaten him. Reyes is very good, but his he doesn't have the same coaching that Jan has to make that double jab reactive takedown game plan that beat Izzy
1: and, and the power and
0: durability Jan yeah. Jan
1: is going to be around a while dude and he's going to be a legend I think I uh, think he's uh, legit he,
0: the only problem is his age but I agree he's very Jan Blachowicz is currently better than John Jones is currently yeah no question no yeah, doubt in my mind. no doubt but again I digress let's move on to the bets and looking at the value so when well, we we're talking about that Jan fight that's I think that came at the perfect time for this because I think that Yon fight has Izzy being actually undervalued. On the line, he's like minus 249 at best, uh, up to the minus 260 in places. Um, 250 is the best right now on DraftKings, Sports bet 254, Bookmaker bet online 260, 258. So we're in that range. I think Izzy should be minus 400, minus 500 here. Honestly, because he beat Vittoria the first fight. He's only gotten better since then. Vittori's gotten a little bit better, but his technique is still low. It's mostly brute strength. He doesn't have the quality of wins. He doesn't deserve a title shot. He should have had to beat a top five opponent like Kennanier or Costa or Rob to get the title shot. But this should be Rob's title shot, and it would be Rob's title shot if he wasn't injured coming off the Gastelum win. Then, and, and Izzy wanted to fight so soon, so they said, okay, we'll put Vittori in there. It's a gift to him. He was ranked number four, They moved him up from four to three just because he got the title shot. they just like, okay, we'll put you above Brunson so it looks better that we don't have a title contender who's ranked below Derek Brunson. Um, (laughs) And and Marvin's coming off of two wins of really hyped guys. Hermanson and Holland were really hyped. So uh, he's being overvalued here. Even though the odds are steep, he's being overvalued. But there's a couple ways to bet this, just like the last one. We have the money line, minus 246, which I, like I said, I think there's, or 250, which like I said, I think there's value there, but I don't think it's the best way to bet this. There's also knockout, but what worries me is Marvin's chin. That chin is impressive. Knockout does have value though, at at plus 180, I think, or you can get, you can uh, protect yourself in case Izzy gets the submission, which is very unlikely, plus 175 for inside the distance. But again, that's not the way I'm going. I don't see Martin Vittori being able to win more than one round in this fight. and no. I, I struggle to see him winning that. I think Izzy gets the knockout, but I like the safety net of the minus 5.5 bread in this fight. And that's sitting at minus 130 on Bet BetOnline uh, and SportsBet. Maybe other places, too. It's not listed on Best Fight Odds, uh, or at least it wasn't last I checked. But if you log into the actual book, you'll see it. Um, so that's what I'm doing and I'm doing another 1.5 unit bet on this. I think Izzy either wins a clear decision or which all he has to do is win 49, 46 on at least two score cards, and then 48, 47 on the other or whatever, or just 50, 45, 49, 46 across the board, basically anything other than 48, 47 across the board for Izzy would make him win, uh, make us win this bet. So I'm going with that 1.5 units at minus 130 on Israel Adesanya minus 5.5. I like that. All right, you know Thank what you. time
1: you know what um, time it is yeah. now.
0: One sec, though. I want to put out a little announcement. I, I, I had I've had some personal stuff this week, so I haven't. I had to pick and choose fights to tape. Um, I'll. I might continue taping. I'm definitely going to look at the Jamal Hill fight to see if I want that, but. Um, there are fights that may have value that I may have missed just because I wasn't able to tape them with time. One is Alexis Davis versus, shoot, who's she fighting? Alexis Davis versus Penny Kianzad. Um, I haven't taped it, but our buddy Mike from Strong and Jacket, I, I don't know if he made an official pick yet, but he said there might be value there. Check him out on Twitter, at Strong and Jacket. Um, and stay tuned, I may tweet. Uh, a play, or and I will tweet if there's a live play on Moreno, and or just look at the live for the live play yourself, and maybe I'll come up with something else too if I if I continue taping and find value on some of these fights I haven't taped yet, like Ziam versus Vendramini is another one I'm looking to tape.
1: Yeah, and Mike will be back because we had a good time with him. He was on both parts for the last fight, yeah. and he's very good, and knowledgeable. So. We'll re- we'll retweet everything, uh, you know, from him because we like him and we want people yeah. to support him. I hope he wants people to support us. So we'll see. Yep. And Val, right. Val everyone has shit. Everyone, don't worry about it. dude.
0: I know. I just want to let the people know that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Here we um, go. We're gonna we're gonna do walking the dog first. Who's your dog here?
0: So my dog. Uh, the, I mean, so I only have two dogs on this. One is the over for the Moreno fight the other is obviously Hakeem Dawudu plus 201 money line 3 quarters of a unit that's my walk on the dog let's go walk and I'll pick up some poop if we lose all
1: right i'm going to take uh i'm going to take stewart on the dog
0: stewart weren't we say i thought you agreed with me that anders beats him
1: I know, but I I just like to throw some shit out there sometimes. Okay, <laughs> okay. um, I I, I, I parlay- do think I do think Anders wins, but I think that's a a, a plus one thirty a good dog to just take. But okay. um, and who's your don't be a pussy
0: parlay? All right, so Israel Adesanya, uh, Jamal Hill, uh, Eric Anders. Drew Dober and... I don't want to do Leon because he's minus 600. Blah Muhammad, Blah Muhammad. So, Adesanya, Muhammad, Craig, Dober, and Anders. Don't be a pussy parlay. Yeah, right. I'm gonna do...
1: Izzy, Edwards, Hill, Dober, and my girl, JoJo, Dinky Ninja.
0: JoJo Calderwood. Love that, though. I mean, I love her. I, I, I think just because of the outline, there might be value on Lauren Murphy. We'll see. I didn't tape it. That's just off the top yeah, of Yeah, you know? uh,
1: those odds are very close. But uh, I'm going to go yeah. with my girl, JoJo, man. I rode with uh, all those Dinky Ninja guys for a long time. Yeah. And uh, I think she's she's... She's like the sweetest person. I love to she hear is. her talk and stuff, you know what I mean? But Yeah. She's she's had some mental issues too, so it's hard sometimes to get with it. But I yeah. I like her and I think she's very good. She's she's a uh a highly decorated uh you know, kickboxer. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Muay tie. I think she's yeah. great.
0: This this could that fight we didn't talk about it, but that fight could be a number one contender fight. I mean, number one and two are Chukagian and Andraj both lost coming off losses to uh recently ish. Um, Lauren Murphy's been calling for a title shot since her last win. If she wins beats Jojo, I think she definitely gets the next title shot. Yeah. If JoJo wins, she might get it or might need one more fight to get it. We'll see. Uh, I wish but,
1: I wish JoJo had just a little more power. She's got tons yeah. of technique, but not
0: a lot of power. Well, it's women's flyweight. But, yeah. Alright, that's all for me. Alright. We
1: want to just mention that we are so excited to be on the Spotify Network. Spotify HQ on YouTube. You can check out their shows there, The Jock Chain, which I believe is just kind of the jack chain. I believe it's just kind of a general sports talk and then you can talk out the T-sheet and you can talk out Bloop and Blast. Um, check out SpoFi on Twitter. You can Spotify HQ SpoFi on HQ on Twitter and on YouTube. I'm sorry, I forgot I the HQ.
0: And you're good. And um check out the Discord. I'll I'll put out a tweet on the significant strike yeah. account with the link to the Discord server. Check um, out. But if any of you guys want to join, it or just want to see it. It's in their bio as well on Twitter.
1: Yeah, and, and we, uh,
0: we talk a fair bit in there and do some fun. We do the ESPN pick'em contest in the server. So if you want to compete against us, that'd be fun.
1: Right? Yeah. Come come see if you think I'm an idiot or Val's an idiot, and you can do better. <laughs> But, uh, all those shows, the Jock Chain, the T-Sheet, Bloop and Blast, um, that's on the Spotify HQ YouTube. And there's also an audio component wherever you get your podcasts. We're very excited to be here. We hope we, we add value to the network and thanks everyone for tuning in.
0: Thank you. We'll see you guys next week or maybe check me out on Twitter or maybe any extra plays. I've said it for five times. <laughs> All right. Bye.
1: All right.